Welcome to episode 67 of GBW Podcast. <laughs> My name is Josh, and with me as always is Chris. Hello. <laughs> who just informed me that the beer I bought is shitty tonight. Yeah, it's not very good. So well, I was trying something new, as I often do, and it tastes like poo. <laughs> what can you do? You're a poet, and you didn't know it. <laughs> I, I guess I have. You should become a rapper. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. You could drop some fat beats. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm cool like that. Yeah, or yeah. like that. Um, like that. So tonight's episode, we're gonna talk about Triple D. Whoa, <laughs> and not diners, drive-ins, and dives, but <laughs> but 3D. When you said Triple D, I thought we were talking about the chicken Total Recall. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was a Triple D as well. No, we're gonna talk about 3D um, movies over the years and yeah. our memories and thoughts on uh, the whole the whole shenanigan. Um, but to get things uh, rolling here, we're going to talk about some of the stuff we've been watching as we usually do. <laughs> so um, did you want to go first? Or I'm going to start at the bottom, like I said. Okay. I'm going to start with the worst. Please bear with us. <laughs> this will get better. It will get better. I'm going to start with a 2006 movie called Wicked Little Things. Okay. This is a movie that was part of the After Dark Horror Fest series that Lionsgate put out. Yeah. Uh the reason I was into this movie when I bought it was that I saw that it was a killer kids movie. Right. And we know that I love me some killer kids. Yeah. You're not so keen on them, but whatever. Well, it depends. It, I, can't, it's, it, I can be. So basically what Wicked Little Things is, is it's about this town that in 1918 was using children to go down in the mines Okay, as to, you do in 1918. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, sure, why not? Child labor. You send them down in the mines, and, and uh, there's a cave-in, which kills everybody. Okay. F- flash forward to modern day, and we have a mother who just lost her husband and her two daughters, one of them a teenager, one of them about eight or nine. Uh, the mom's played by Lori Hering. The daughters, this is the thing. I didn't know this going into the movie. The oldest daughter's played by uh, Taylor Compton Scout, is that her name? Oh, Scout Taylor Scout Compton. Scout Taylor Compton, who stunk up the place in Rob Zombie's <laughs> Halloween movies. <laughs> she sure did. And uh, the little sister is played by uh, Chloe Moretz. Oh. Who has been in everything. Yeah. And was in the Carrie remake. Yeah. yeah. And Kick-Ass and things like that. And so this is her being really young. So I was like, I'm, I was curious because I was like, these two were in these mo- this movie before they kind of got famous. Yeah. Although, you know, Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> um, well, we both know who she is because of that. So Yes, that's true. So basically what happens is they inherit a house that was in the father's family. The father has passed away. They go to this small town. They run into your typical, you know, backwoods kind of locals who are like, oh, you don't want to live up there. It's a shitty place to live. And that's because the kids who died in the mine are lurking in the woods, jumping out of the fog. And attacking people. Okay. So, yeah. You know, it's your typical like, ooh, how are we going to make mood in this horror movie? I know. Fog. Lots <laughs> of fucking fog. Right. And every once in a while, there'll be a kid staring longingly from the from the forest with soot all over their face. And they're going to come out and randomly kill the fodder while harassing the family. So, it's one of those kind of movies. How did they kill? Like, <laughs> well... <laughs> Most of the time, it was just like, you know, a mining pickaxe or like a, a big wooden spear kind of deal and stuff like that. And it was weird because there was this one character who 
He was like the local crazy guy, kind of like a Ralph from Friday the 13th who warned everyone. But he was saying how these kids are an abomination and God's punishing them. And so he decides to like sacrifice his pigs to these kids because he puts it out in the, he puts it out in the middle of the night during a full moon and the kids come and slaughter the pig and eat its guts Oh, and stuff like that. And, and you know, it's just one of those movies where you're like, you're watching it and you're just like, kind of like, yeah, I've seen this before. This ain't doing nothing for me. I'm just not really into this. I'm a little bored. The kills aren't that great. It's resorting too much to, like I said, fog for mood. Yeah. Like, that's the thing about horror movies. It's like, sure, a lot of them are formulaic. Yeah. But when they have to resort to these tropes to try and build suspense, it doesn't do anything for me. Right. Like, there's nothing new here. And even the acting was just kind of like, you know, uh, the older daughter was your typical... I resent you, mom, for making me move away from my friends. Oh, okay. I'm going to go hang out with a couple teenagers who are randomly in the town and try and have sex with this dude. So she's playing the character from Halloween. Pretty pretty much. And then the Chloe Grace Moretz is the one who's like, oh, I've got a new friend because she befriends one of the girls from the mine, you know, that kind of deal. We've never seen that before. Yeah. Um, So it's not very good. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, the main reason I watched it is because it is d- re- directed by J.S. Cardoni. Right. This is the guy who he directed a movie called uh, Shadow Shadow Zone for Charles Band's Full Moon Pictures in 1990, which was a total underground lair John Carpenter's The Thing ripoff. Right. Which is actually pretty good. Yeah. He also directed a movie called The Forsaken. Right. The Forsaken. Which, which yeah. is like a uh, kind of a uh, Lost Boys rip off in a way and uh are you pulling a face over there he, he just tried the beer folks <laughs> and he pulled a face like i did um he also wrote the remakes of prom night and the stepfather so yeah yeah so yeah that's all i'm saying it, it's really not worth really talking about much more it's just one of those movies i like killer kid movies but when this movie makes beware children at play by trauma entertaining you know you're in trouble <laughs> Well, I am going to, I will revisit this one day because, or visit this one day because I am planning on going through all of the After Dark Horror Fest titles eventually. Is this after you're done with the uh, Ghost House Underground? Underground? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, we got to have goals. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have goals and make our listeners go, why are they watching all this shit? <laughs> well, no, because it's because it's the reason. Consider it a Surgeon General's warning. Well, it's, it's also the reason is, is because once in a while we're going to find something really cool. That we can tell That's, people about. That is true. Just unfortunately. This but at least it. you only have to listen to us talk about it for a few minutes instead of watching Spending all the it. 94 minutes I spent with yeah, the Wicked exactly. Little Things. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, I guess I will uh, I'll switch it up a bit. There's a pl- I could lead off to a few different areas off that review, but I'm not going to. Well, you see, I, I figured I'd start with the worst and build from there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go with because um, I went to the I went to the theater, the theater, and I saw Predator. Yes, you did. <laughs> From 1987, the yes, classic directed did. by John McTiernan. Um, classic to me, not so much to you. Yes, so <laughs> kind of horror. Okay, I'm, the, the, a couple of dates hap- are happening um, imminently. One just happened. Um, it was actually Sergeant Pepper's. 50th anniversary right i think yesterday or today that? which freaked me out it blows my mind and then also 
Predators 30th which anniversary. Also makes me feel really fucking <laughs> old this year, which is pretty terrifying. I it's, feel old. It, it yeah, it really is quite shocking. Anyway, I haven't seen Predator since the 80s. Um, it never really made that much of an impression on me back in the day. I don't know why, um, but it was just with with the Arnie movies and stuff. And in in that era, I was a lot more into action movies than than uh, sci fi and horror. Yeah. Um, even though I like liked the genre back then, it just this one in particular never really jumped out at me. So, um, whereas on by retrospect, I love Predator. Yeah. And looking at it now, like with different, obviously much different eyes. Um, so a couple of things about it. Okay. So first of all, it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of in his prime. This was his prime. Yeah. His prime was from like 1984 to 1990, probably. Yeah. That period from Terminator right up to Total Recall, I'd say are his prime. Yeah. This was right, right in the middle of that. Um, so he plays Dutch. He's like a leader of an elite army unit. They're like mercenaries. Yeah, yeah. That go into um, the jungle because uh, this other unit's gone missing. So they're trying to... Or no, there's like some sort of kidnapping um, in the jungle. So they they have to go in and rescue these these people and bring them out. So um, they're hired by Carl Weathers. Hell yeah. Apollo Creed himself. You know... This is the reason there's that thing on the internet of the bulging muscles giving high fives to each other is because of Predator. <laughs> yeah, there was, there there was, was a, a lot, lot of fucking of bulging muscles. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of Carl Weathers, Arnold Schwarzenegger bulging muscles moments in this movie. Yeah, and of course they set up right away that these guys are kind of buddies, but they're also kind of like um, a bit at odds with each other because I think uh, Carl Weathers, I think what happened is they were in the same unit or something, but now Carl Weathers is Arnie's basically his boss on this mission yeah. um but yeah there's like you know the the, the first thing they there's do a is, lot of fucking testosterone yeah in they the have like a little bit of an of arm movie. wrestle pretty much right away and yeah. there's like close-ups on their biceps and stuff so yeah. it's it's kind of funny in that way um the crew also includes um bill duke um yep. he was uh you'll know him if you if you saw him he's this like big black guy that's um part of the unit we've also got jesse the body ventura as yep. part of the unit. I ain't got time to bleed. Yeah. We've also got Sonny, Sonny Landum, who is uh, the, he's kind of the Native American yeah. portion of the unit. He's, he's cool. He's a cool guy. He, you might recognize him from 48 Hours and yep. uh, Firewalker with uh, Mr. Norris. Yep. Um, and it also has um, Shane Black. Yeah. Who, uh, of course, is going to be directing the new Predator movie that's coming out next year. And uh, he's uh, he's in the unit as well. And and I think it was his uh, first film role. Yeah. And he, Shane Black was an actor, then a writer. And I think he was um, writing. Actually, I think he was writing The Last Boy Scout in in his like off time on the set weapon of too, I think. What's that? Didn't he do Lethal He did Lethal Weapon, yeah. which I think was before. Which is the same yeah. year, 87. Yeah. yeah. So he, he was kind of coming up in both yeah. areas. Um, so, yeah, let's just talk about Predator for a bit. Um, okay. So, yeah, they go into the jungle and there's a big, you know, there might, might be mild spoilers here just because I'm assuming a lot of people have seen it and it's really not going to wreck the uh, movie for you. But they're, um, they go in and they have to perform this rescue mission so they find their the people they're trying to find and there's a big firefight there which i thought was pretty fun and then um after they get what they need they um start getting stalked by a monster yeah um kind of an alien i don't really know what you'd call it like an alien he's like an alien hunter he's just yeah you know just, he's got like a 
invisibility power and yeah. lasers and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and it's got a pretty uh a pretty recognizable effect where it kind of can you can see its heat seeking yeah. sensibilities where it can tell that Yeah, like are a around. predator POV. Yeah. where it's like all these like um color yeah, you can you can just he can tell heat body heat and it's a big red kind of splotch on the screen and yeah you could see the shape of the people walking and stuff it's a pretty cool effect for the time that yeah. it came out now i gotta admit i was a little um i was a little worried for the first hour i did like the whole rescue mission but i did feel like the movie was a little a little like slow moving um i wasn't quite as action-packed as i was expecting but um i will say that the last the last half hour or so i thought was really awesome when it was pretty much man against mono a mono (laughs) you an ugly motherfucker yeah i really (laughs) really enjoyed the last the last bit much more than i remember enjoying it in the past so uh definitely see why um why this has to follow well that's the thing like that that last third of that movie is just so fucking balls to the wall that you can't help but love it yeah, but at the same time, the reason I like the build up to that is because I like a lot of the side characters. Yeah, you know, like I like the Sunny character, like the Native American character. Yeah. I like him. I like his showdown with the Predator. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Jesse Ventura in this this yeah. movie. I mean, he's got he's like just that abrupt asshole character, and he's got like some of the most politically incorrect but memorable lines. You know, like bunch of slack jawed faggots around here. You oh, know, yeah, lines like got, that. And he like, also is the guy that like has the gun that yeah, you basically he's got, like, shoot the, out the, the side of a helicopter. The big Gatling gun. But he's like carrying it around. He's got yeah. the big Gatling gun. He likes to like spit chewing tobacco on people's shoes to piss them off and all that. Like, yeah, I just like the characters that they surrounded. And John McTiernan's just like a really machoy type director. Yeah. Too, right. Like even his other movies, like this guy made Die Hard the next year. Yeah. The guy's a macho director and this movie is fucking as macho as they come, I think. Yeah, it's it's really, really macho. And uh, as uh, as um, I went and saw it at the Rio here in Vancouver and uh, the the uh, when the in movie was being introduced, she, the, the girl was basically like, well, I see this is pretty much a sausage party, which it uh, pretty much was. There was a lot of dudes in the audience. But... Yeah, well, any girl who appreciates Predator, I appreciate. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, now, just on a bit of a side note here, and this stuff I wasn't aware of until I went to the screening because um, at the screening was um, our past guest Todd Masters was there um, effects artist what up Todd (laughs) and also um, they Skyped in uh, effects artist Steve Johnson um, who's of course done Night of the Demons and Ghostbusters and all kinds of cool stuff so I'm like, why is Todd Masters and Steve Johnson here? Because as far as I knew, the effects were done by Stan Winston. So the reason they were there is because um, Steve Johnson was the original effects guy on Predator. Um, so he had designed his own suit and everything. And I didn't know if you know knew this, but Jean-Claude Van Damme yep. was the original yep. actor for the Predator. So we got some pretty interesting stories about the original suit and uh, Van Damme and how... Steve Johnson got fired, and um, yeah, it sounded like uh, it was pretty entertaining. Anyway, could you could you imagine if Jean Claude Van Damme was the predator? He'd be like fucking doing splits between two trop- tropical <laughs> trees. <laughs> yeah, the 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 suit looked pretty. 
pretty funny. And uh, oh, did they show photos of it? Well, uh, well, also at the at the screening, I managed to get a copy of uh, Rubber Rubberhead, which is Steve Johnson's new book, which I'm is so jealous. The first of you right in a now. season of fi- uh, series of five, and I gotta say, if anyone is at all interested in special effects and just crazy Hollywood stories, um, you absolutely want to well, see. Even this just out. me flipping through it, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Rad. It's awesome, and there's some, anyway there's some pictures in there showing Van Damme and showing the original suit and stuff. But uh, I highly recommend uh, seeking out that book if you can because it's uh, pretty cool. You can get it through Steve Johnson's website, and I think it might be available on Amazon at least in the U.S. Um, but yeah, and then when you actually look through the credits on this sh- on this show. I mean, it has so Todd Masters was on it. Steve Johnson was the original guy. Stan Winston designed the new suit. You also had K K and B. All those guys were involved. Um, Screaming Mad George was in there somewhere. Really? It's like a who's who of. Like, there was no effects that would look Screaming Mad George to me. I know. Well, he's credited huh. somewhere in there, so uh, you can pretty much tell his stuff. So that's weird. Yeah. So um, anyway, at the end of the day, uh, yeah. I mean, I. I I've changed my mind on Predator. I do think it was a pretty awesome movie, and uh, I can't believe it's taken this long to see it again. But it was really cool to not have seen it for so many years, and then to see it on the big screen. Because back in the day, I did not see it on the big screen. I said to you, like, remember before we started recording, I was like saying, oh, you're going to talk about Predator, aren't you? And you're like, yeah, I don't know if I really liked it. Yeah. And I was like, well, I kind of expected that from you. Yeah. Because... I said to you that I thought you would probably like Predator 2 more. Yeah. Simply because Predator 2 is set in an urban landscape. Yeah. And you seem to be more keen on well, those definitely, types of movies. Well, definitely back in the day, I was definitely more into Predator 2. Yeah, like Predator 2 is still a pretty cool movie. But yeah. Predator's always going to do it for me. Like It's just because when that came out, I was at the peak also of my Schwarzenegger worship, right? Yeah. Because this guy had just made Commando, man. Yeah. And Commando's like one of my all-time favorite action movies ever made. Yeah, me too. So I'm just like, oh, man, I can't wait to see Arnold Schwarzenegger kick the living shit out of an alien. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I love Predator still to this day. Yeah, it's pretty pretty um, fun. I, I'm hoping that Shane Black nails what Predator brought to the table simply because I found that the when Robert Rodriguez produced that Predators, yeah. that it didn't quite work for me the way I wanted it to. I thought it was okay. It just had that typical that you see all the time these days where it's like the movie's clipping along really good. Then they get to well, the scene. Well, then Forrest Whitaker shows up. Lawrence, and, Lawrence Fishburne. Or Lawrence Fishburne. And it just comes to a grinding yeah, halt and yeah. it never picks up for, like, No, it totally did on that scene. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking so, about. So I think Shane Black, uh, just with his sensibilities, um, I, th- I think it's going to be pretty cool. My only concern with it is that that, that kid from The Room is in it, or yeah. Room. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, when, when a kid's in a movie, I always get a little He's leery. like the male newt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it is Shane Black, and I do trust in him, so uh, I, I am looking forward to it. All I all I wish from Predator is that they would actually take their time to release a decent Blu-ray of this movie. Oh, there's not one out? Well, it's out, but there's lots of issues with picture quality. Oh, okay. So there was an original release from the early days of Blu-ray, which had a lot of, like, uh, you know, the smoothing applied. Right. And then they also re-released it with like Predator 3D. Ha. Huh. Uh, where that where it was on uh Blu-ray and it was a 3D upconvert too. Okay. And the picture quality was a little bit better, but it still had its issues. I want them to come out with like a nice special edition of this movie like 
Why wouldn't they? It's not like people wouldn't buy it. Well, especially now, like there's all these weird backstories. 30th anniversary. Just get Steve Johnson to do a commentary. It, it would be fucking hilarious. Just put it out there. <laughs> it's it's 30 years, man. Well, it seems like the right time. And then, of course, with the new one coming out next year, I would say now would be the if time. If they do it, gonna, I'll buy it. You're going to see something like that. Yeah. If they do it, I'll buy it. I have the original <laughs> Blu-ray release, and you can tell that they've smoothed out stuff. When 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger's skin looks completely smooth with no wrinkles, you know there's an issue with the picture <laughs> quality. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. So. All right. We're going to go from Predator to, let's see, what should I do here? Well, see, <laughs> I'm gonna, I've got three comedies, so I'm just going to hit one of the comedies. Um, I continued watching a series. <laughs> oh, gosh. I watched Police Academy 3, <laughs> back in training, from 1986. Is this like becoming a torture series yet? Not yet. Okay. Um, directed by Jerry Paris, who also directed part two. I sadly learned when I was uh, looking into this that he actually passed away the same year this movie came out. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure of what or anything like that. So what this is, is they're continuing to do the formula. Which is, you know, get your typical group of misfits led by Steve Gutenberg and his Mahoney. Put them in a situation where they have rivals, which again is played by Art Matrano, who plays Captain Mauser. He was right. in the second part. Only this time it's there's two police academies in the city and the mayor's going to close one. So <laughs> Mauser's running one of them and, you know... Commandant Lassard, played by George Gaines, is running the oh, other. Oh, okay, yeah. So he has to call back his most successful graduates, Mahoney and the crew, yeah. to train new recruits <laughs> to try and keep his police academy open. Yeah. So it's your standard plot. Um, recycled jokes galore. Still playing on the whole. Tackleberry's a gun nut. Mahoney is a sarcastic and tries to get all the ladies. Hightower is just big. Hooks has a small voice. You know, they've brought on Bobcat Goldthwait's character has transitioned from part two as being the bad guy to being a recruit at the police okay, academy. We're still in, in the one. era that I've seen. <laughs> yeah. So he's a recruit. Yeah. You know, a couple of characters from the last movie have become recruits. So they've carried those characters over. Um, not much really to talk about in the sense that if you've seen one police academy movie, you've pretty much seen them all. Yeah. This is the beginning of the downfall for me a little bit. Okay. I did not enjoy this nearly as much as one and two. I still had fun with it for the most part. Um, the finale is the most memorable thing I remembered coming into this movie because the finale is just a big long oh the mayor's being kidnapped we need to save him he's on a yacht we're gonna do we're gonna have jet skis and we're gonna be chased by guys on boats and okay. we're gonna do jokes where the guy who makes the sounds has sees people coming in with a jet ski and he goes dive dive and goes under the water and puts his hand up like a periscope and makes periscope noises <laughs> and you know and all this was shot on the waterfront in toronto right. so at the time, Police Academy 3 came out, I lived in the Toronto area. Right. So course. I was like, oh, fuck, I've been there. That's yeah, awesome. That's I mean, always I'll, fun. <laughs> I love when movies come out and you're like, oh, I remember that. I've been there. You know, yeah. you could see CN Tower in the background and nice. all that stuff. So, yeah, it, it it was still fun for what it was. Yeah. But I can definitely see the quality starting to slip. <laughs> yeah. And when you're doing a movie a year yeah. for like, you know, so many years in a row, it's going to happen. Yeah. You know? Look at the Saw movies. Yeah. Look at Friday the 13th, at least until Jason lives. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to happen. I'd still say that if you're into the first two movies, you should check out part three. Part three is still good. I remember that four 
which is called Citizens on Patrol, which is the one I'm going to tackle next, yeah. being the one where I was like, okay, I'm, I think I'm almost done with this entire series. Oh, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know, I think Gutenberg was in the first six. But I know there was a bunch of people who left after four, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I think Bobcat left after four. So if you'd like to place bets on if Chris makes it through this entire series, feel free to leave feedback on our Facebook page. <laughs> hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm up to three. I only got four left, man. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not halfway yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, please cut me three. Nice. I'm going to keep going, though. Okay. I'm going to hit another comedy. Well, I'm going to have a whole ton, then. If That's fine. I'm just going to hit one more comedy because I'm not going to talk about it very long. All right. Um, I also watched 1989's Who's Harry Crumb, starring John Candy. Yeah. Uh, the reason I watched this is because I got the DVD for like a dollar. And I the story of your life, man. <laughs> I remember watching this on VHS when it first came out and thinking it was pretty fun. Yeah. Of course, I was like 14 at the time. So when you're 14, a lot of comedies seem fun. And then when you watch them as an adult, not so much. Yeah. Um, this is basically John Candy doing Fletch. Right. So Fletch is a 1985 movie starring Chevy Chase where he's like, you know, a de- kind of a detective type who has to like, you know, look into a mystery while using disguises. That's kind of what John Candy's character, Harry Crumb, has done in this. He's hired by um, his boss, this guy, Jeffrey, J- played by Jeffrey Jones, because he ne- he's inept. Is he the per? No, he's not the pervert. No, he's inept. So he's hired to kind of like fuck up this case because Jeffrey Jones is the bad guy. Is he guy. the pervert? He might be. Is he the one from Ferris Bueller? The principal? I think so. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, <laughs> he's hired to look anyway. into this case because there's ulterior motives by his boss. And, you know, he uses his disguises, which there's a couple of disguises in this where I'm like, yeah, you can tell this is an 80s movie. Because there's a scene where he shows up at a building dressed up in a turban in brown <laughs> face acting like he's he's an East Indian. Jeffrey Jones? No, John Candy. Oh, my God. And he's got the accent and everything. He's always like, very good, very good. Oh. He's doing that through the whole thing. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I'm like, you could tell this is a late 80s movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, Shawnee Smith is on hand from uh, 1988's The Blob as the daughter of, like, the sister of the kidnap victim Harry Crumb's trying to find. And, and the she's Saw actually, movies. Yeah, she's yeah. in Saw and The Blob. And she's actually really good in this. She's cute and she's fun and she's upbeat. Yeah. I liked her in it. Um, Tim Thomerson's on hand from the Transfers movies wow. as the uh, as the boyfriend that the wife is cheating with, kind of. It's very confusing. I'm not giving much plot, am I? Um, so, so basically, Harry Crumb has to solve a kidnapping. Shawnee Smith plays the kidnappee's sister who helps him track down his her her sister. <laughs> The mom is the stepmom's played by Annie Potts from Designing Women. She's having an affair with Tim Thomas. You're character. like losing yourself here. Not I not, not okay. Never, never mind. mind me. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Directed by Paul Flaherty, who's a brother of Joe Flaherty from SCTV, who has a cameo. Oh God, okay. It's just kind of one of those movies where it actually started out really fun and goofy because yeah. he's 
you know, it's kind of slapsticky. He's really inept. John Candy's a likable dude, no matter what he's in. That's true, yeah. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun. But it's just one of those movies where it just goes on too long with yeah. the same jokes. Yeah, yeah. That's like, I know people love Fletch, but I've never understood that either. Because yeah, I'm not a big Fletch, fan yeah. of Fletch. Yeah. I just don't like movies with detective-type characters using disguises that are so over-the-top and slapsticky. And that's exactly what this movie does. Yeah, I kind of liked, like, Get Smart, like Don Amici. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, back in the day. But I think other than that, uh, I actually I, I didn't totally really agree. mind that Steve Carell Get Smart either, to be honest. I haven't seen that one. But, yeah. you know, like... It just became, it becomes tired after a while. I mean, this is a, a 90 minute movie and it just became tiring by the end. I mean, if it wasn't for Shawnee Smith's character being super likable and the fact that, you know, Tim Thomerson's in it being a sleaze ball and yeah. all this, I'm just like, I kind of would have not bothered with this. Right. So it, it's one of the less memorable John Candy movies. Yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah, so. I so I'm wanted... actually not even going to bother watching this. Yeah, don't bother. <laughs> so I'm just throwing it out there. So All right. You know, I'm off to a, a blazingly hot start with my uh with my movies here, you got to admit. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you got Predator, what I got? Fucking wicked little things who's Harry Crumb and fucking Police Academy 3. Oh, don't worry. I I'm s- I'm destroying it right I now. I have some cherry ones too. I I'm crushing it right now. <laughs> But before we get into my cherry picks, uh, we're going to talk about Alien Covenant. <laughs> oh, another wow. another trip to the theater. Wow. So um, brand new movie uh, directed by Ridley, Ridley Scott. This is the second in a trilogy um, that started with Prometheus and is going to end with the next movie, which should I'm imagining going will lead into the original Alien. Um, so, yeah. Uh, um have you seen Prometheus? No. Okay. Not yet. So I guess the biggest thing I could say, I mean, I did like this. Don't spoil Prometheus. For I'm me. not going to spoil anything. Okay. I did enjoy this quite a bit, um, much more than I thought. Um, now, the thing with Prometheus for me is I did watch it. I watched it last year. And honest to God, I cannot remember anything. Other, that's, that's not a good sign. Other than the fact that I liked it. But... I was watching this movie, which does continue on um, a few years after the events in Prometheus. And um, I honestly did not remember anything. And after the movie, um, the the friend of mine that I went with, uh, we went out for some Thai food and he was explaining the plot of Prometheus to me. And I didn't remember. <laughs> I'm like, I, it's like, you're telling me about a movie I've never seen. You're like, I like this movie. So but... <laughs> it's, it's a really, it's really weird that way. That being said, um, I, I, I thought, I felt like this was a little more, um, a little closer to the alien franchise that I know um, because I didn't feel Prometheus was. Um, So this is, is more, it has a lot of more of what I would expect from an alien movie. Um, Well, I would think so considering the ads for it were just predominantly having a drooling alien on the posters. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, um, I, I'm trying to like, talk about this without really saying anything um <laughs> like because, who's Crumb? well because i want people <laughs> i want people to see it right um stars michael fassbender who is also in prometheus um also stars billy crudup 
um, who I have actually was just thinking about him recently and now I haven't really seen him in anything since Almost Famous. And he was a pretty great. He, well, he is a really good actor, but he uh, just doesn't seem to be in much lately. But I uh, loved him in Almost Famous, loved him in like, uh, what was that, that Prefontaine movie? And um, remember that one? No. Without Limits, that was a good one. Oh, okay. About the runner, Steve Prefontaine, that's a good one. Uh, but yeah, he was in a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, Danny McBride's in this, um, and which was an odd choice. You know, Danny McBride was in that TV show... Um, East, Eastbound and Down. Eastbound and Down. And that's all I really know Well, he's from, predominantly known for being like kind of an obnoxious comedian. Yeah, Pineapple Express. Like, uh, this is the end, Pineapple Express, Your Highness. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I'm bringing him up is because... I I found out that he was actually one of the, he's going to be one of the writers on the yep. new Halloween movie, yep. and I was like, what the fuck, right? Um, of course, like all horror fans, like what the hell? This is blasphemy. You know what's funny? I didn't do that. Really? You want to know why? Because I saw Get Out. Yeah. Which was written and directed by a guy who's only known for comedy. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, maybe it could work. Yeah. Well, I I mean, after now I the and reason Danny McBride has basically come out and said. He's going to try and they're trying to make it more like Carpenters. Yeah. The reason I'm bringing all this up is because yeah. after seeing this movie, I'm like, okay, I think this guy knows what's going on because okay. he, he was totally fine in a horror movie and did, did quite a good job. Okay. Um, and then there's, you know, there's other characters as well. Um, you have a couple of female characters and um, a couple of other side characters. Wow. Way to minimalize the females in this movie, Josh. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying movie? really hard not to do spoilers. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so just a few other notes on this. Now, as far as the Alien movies go, um, I mean, of course, we all love the original Alien from the 70s and, of course, James Cameron's Aliens. And I kind of um, like Resurrection, too, dude. Yeah, some people like uh, Alien 3 and Resurrection. Now, I did watch them all over the last couple of years. I think I talked about them all on Most here. Most of them, yeah. And um, the thing that I thought really killed Resurrection for me, uh, seeing it again now, is the CGI. I thought it was awful. It's, it is. It's, it's absolutely yeah, I haven't seen it horrific since theater, in so. that movie. Um, so... You know, going into an alien movie now where CGI is kind of what we what happens now, I was pretty, you know, skeptical about a new alien movie with CGI. But um I thought I thought it was fine. I mean I, I yeah, I thought I thought this was a pretty cool movie. Um it did it did come it did have sort of the syndrome we were talking about before with um predators where it kind of gets to a point and then everything kind of gets derailed stops for about 20 minutes I, there's so many movies i can that i don't know like why that. they do that it's like it's like they feel like they need to like slow it down so the up so the audience can you know recover well, and, either that or slow it down to explain the plot yeah kind of like that lights out movie i talked about recently right right i mean it, it is a pretty common thing and this does it as well and i mean there's a lot of um there's a lot of chatter in there about, you know, um, just about what's going on and, and trying to, like, expand on the mythology. One scene in particular, which I'm not going to talk about. Um, but at the same time, um, I did find that after that happened, um, and then we got into the final act, I did find that it was able to recover, and I did find myself enjoying the final act. So overall, yeah, I, I like this quite a bit. Now, it might have been because I thought saw it in the theater. Um, I always, you know, I, I definitely like movies in the theater more than I like them 
at home like i always enjoy them more so um i don't know how this would play if you were just watching it at home so i would recommend if you're a fan of the series checking it out absolutely if you're a fan of prometheus i think you will like this i think if you're like die hard aliens is it and you don't like anything else um you might have a bit more of a difficult time with this but there are aliens in it there's there's pretty good pretty good action sequences it does go from there's stuff that happens on a ship there's stuff that happens on a planet so you get a a nice mix of of uh, different locations but yeah I, i enjoyed it quite a bit and i'm looking forward to seeing how uh ridley scott uh wraps up this whole this whole thing yeah i've heard mixed on it so far yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting to like it that much, but I, I did walk out of the theater. I know I lock, I liked it a lot more than my buddy, who um, is a huge fan of the series. Hmm. So I don't know what that says. Okay, but um, yeah, and and if you know, we've got the usual. You know, there's some dumb writing in this. You know, you got characters doing really dumbass stuff, like really dumbass stuff, which seems to be the norm these days. Like, they, it seems like you can't write a movie with really intelligent characters. Like, you've got to have characters doing really stupid shit sometimes right. so that was a little bit annoying but you know really at the end of the day you're here for the aliens and i thought it delivered and right. i thought it delivered on the mythology as well so yeah i think i have to watch prometheus first i i think you'd be a little lost if you hadn't seen prometheus yeah yeah i just i have it at home i just have i'm i'm hesitant on that movie for some reason yeah because i know it's like supposed to go like off of what the alien series had been to that point quite a bit and yeah. that's what's made me really hesitant about watching it. It's a little slow. You got to be in the right mood. But like I said, I did really enjoy it. I just didn't remember anything. Right. Like, and that's really weird. It's really weird for me to have a movie that I don't remember at all, but know that I liked it. Because usually, if I don't remember it, you're right. It's a piece of shite. But oh, now you have to watch it again. I think I will. Well, I think what I'll do now is I'll wait, wait for the next one, watch that, and then I'll marathon them all, all when right. they all come out on on uh, home video. Okay. Yeah. Keep so going. there you go, Alien Covenant. What do you got next? Keep you want going. me to keep going? Yeah, do one more, just because uh, I did two. Okay, I'll do a quick one. I'll do a quick one. It's called, well, we might as well stay on the testosterone. I watched Last Boy Scout. Nice. <laughs> which I've never seen. Oh. So. I haven't seen it, admittedly, for at least 15 years. But I remember it's fun. Yeah. So this ties into Predator. It's pretty and dumbass, but it's fun. It ties into Predator and Alien Covenant because it was uh, written by Shane Black. Yep. And it was directed by Ridley Scott's brother, Tony. Okay. Um, who, uh, you know, we know who did uh, Top Gun, True Romance, and all kinds of really big action movies that are really good. Um, so this one's kind of notable also because at the time Shane Black sold the screenplay for this movie and it was the most expensive screenplay that had ever been sold at $1.75 million. Um, Which when you watch the movie, you don't quite get why they were willing <laughs> to pay that much for it. Well, when you I mean, it's watch a fun movie, don't get me wrong. Well, I did watch the movie and, and um, the other thing about it is that apparently they did, half of the script had been thrown out because oh, okay. Bruce Willis. Oh, okay. So this is one of these movies. It's Bruce Willis. Um, this Damon was, Wayans. This was kind of between... Okay, I, wrote, I actually wrote down the chronology because this was a kind of Bruce Willis when he was kind well, of at his prime. this was after Die Hard 2. Kind of at his prime, but kind of struggling because it was Die Hard 2, then Hudson Hawk, then Last Boy Scout. Wasn't Hudson Hawk after? No, this oh, was okay, after okay, Hudson okay. Hawk. So he's like one of the biggest action stars. Okay, now the no, other no, thing- no. Here's the chronologically. I'll tell you this now. 
Die Hard 2, which I think actually really like. Yeah. Hudson Hawk, which I like on the fact that it's dumb, but I enjoy it. Last Boy Scout, and then Striking Distance, which is a fucking piece of garbage. Right. And you know what's funny about Bruce Willis is that I, I was looking at his filmography, and the guy, he was a, you know, he's, we think of him as a huge action star. He really do, hasn't done a lot of action movies. Like, well, like we're talking about Die Hard, the Die Hard series, of course. Well, to discount his Die Hard movies, he really hasn't. He really, he's done this. He's done Hudson Hawk. Striking Distance. Striking Distance. And um, I can't think of any more. Exactly. Well, Fifth Element's kind of sci-fi action. Yeah, it's like Pulp Fiction, Fifth Element. Like, yeah. But he's not like an Arnie. Like, no. I sometimes lump him in with those guys, but this he was not. But he apparently does have... Now, I don't know him, but apparently he... He is a bit difficult to work with. Well, yeah, you hear lots of bit stories of an ego, from directors. Bit of an ego. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like the the impression I got from reading about this movie after I watched it was that this was one of these movies that was kind of rife with problems. Well, I mean, with on the Bruce Willis being difficult thing, I mean, just look up stories about that Kevin Smith has told about filming cop out with him. right right you know that those stories are famous for, yeah so I, for him being so difficult yeah he means definitely has a reputation so i think what what happened here is we have shane black's script we have a great director tony scott then we have bruce willis in the mix i think we have bruce willis probably rewriting the script or changing shit around all the time so i don't think a lot of shane black's original script actually made it into the final right. movie all that being said the other, it does kind of start off a little awkward too, because it's got this terrible, terrible song about football with this guy. <laughs> Do you remember this? No. Oh my god! It's like it's like this. Uh, it's over the opening credits. I like football. Pretty much, it's this guy with like kind of gray I'm long gonna hair. Stick it in your end zone. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's like a really shitty. Is it cheese... a love song to football? No. It's it's like a. It's it's is a, it a testosterone pumper to football? A, it, I think it wants to be raw raw football. What it is is it's yet another reason why the saxophone oh, here we go. should never ever be in a rock and roll here, song. Here we go. Oh, no, I'm not going to go off, <laughs> but I will say I was like, oh crap, this is starting off bad. Um, but it stars <laughs> Bruce Willis as a down on the select detective, a very typical Shane Black type character. Yeah. Um, Damon Wayans is a is a football star who's also down on his luck. Who's um, I think he's been kicked out of the league or something. I, I can't really didn't really understand why. Um, it also has Chelsea Field from Dust Devil in Prison um, playing Bruce Willis's um, kind of estranged wife. Um, Danielle Harris plays his daughter, which was kind of a nice treat because uh, she was in Halloween 4 and 5 and yep. is kind of a scream queen. We talked about her last episode. Yeah. Um, so we've got... Yeah, um, and then um, we've also got Taylor Negron's in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who uh, is a great, great little actor, and he plays kind of the, the villain type character, the evil uh, kind of hitman type guy. Um, he always made everything good, even when he only better, even when he was only in it for like 30 seconds. Yeah, but he's this is the biggest role I've ever seen him. Oh, okay. And uh, it's also got Halle Berry in a very uh, uh, early role. She plays a stripper, Damon, uh, Damon Wayans' girlfriend, and Kim Coates from Sons of Anarchy oh, also yeah, has a, a small role. Canadian well. treasure right there. Yeah. 
So this is, yeah, I mean, when I talk about a typical Shane Black script, I mean, we've we've talked about some of the movies he's been involved with. So Lethal Weapon, of course. Of course, The Nice Guys. Yep. Um, kiss, well, kiss, bang, bang. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. So K- Shane Black's kind of known for having these these characters that are a bit down on their luck and then also kind of for the buddy, the buddy yeah, thing. Yeah, snappy dialogue and stuff. Yeah, and you've got two characters that are, you know, kind of from different worlds slammed together into a situation. And that's what we've got here. Now, I thought Bruce Willis was actually really good here because he's like really kind of a, a skid rowish type Raymond Chandler. <laughs> right. And he's like, you know, swearing all the time and smoking and drinking. And, you know, he's having it. He has a shitty marriage and he can't keep control of his kid. And and he's uh, trying to trying to be a private eye. And, um, and he, he gets cheated on by his wife. And it's just he, so I thought he pulled that off quite well. Damon Wayans also like I I thought he was really good in this and yeah I remember liking him in it yeah I don't really care for him for the most part well he never got involved with the other like the other Wayans he wasn't yeah. in all the scary movie right. things he was in I think I'm gonna get you sucker I think maybe I think I think don't the, quote me on that but he had a bit of a his he sort of went the other way from the other well Wayans. I, I also think the reason I don't really like Damon Wayans is because of the run he did after this. Like Blank Man. Where he's in like Blank Man and Major Pain and and like um, Bulletproof with Adam Sandler. I I just, I I just have have a hard time with the Wayans clan in general, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. But I I remember liking him in this movie. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good in this movie. And I thought, you know, I just thought overall it was, it was pretty well done. Like I wouldn't, I was kind of surprised to read about all the kind of hatred that was going on on set because it sounded like no one liked each other during the making yeah. of this film. The, the main thing I just remember about this movie is that it was just like a dumb action movie. Yeah. And the only other thing I remember involves a helicopter. And that's it. A helicopter. Yeah, I thought there was a scene involving helicopter rotors in this movie. Huh. But I could be wrong. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah, like I... I yeah, there was a scene at a football stadium. Um, yeah, it, it was it was fun. It was it was a fun little watch. I'm I'm glad I saw it, and uh, um, it, it's an interesting way to see sort of Shane Black's that he that he still he had that kind of he's he's had the same sort of tone through all his stuff, and I really like I really like his uh, the way he does things, and uh, it would be interesting to see like how maybe the the script should have been right. But it's still it's still a fun fun watch though. Okay, well, I'm gonna do something now where I talk about a movie which is super obscure. I didn't do any preparation to talk about this movie because I was like, "What's the point?" <laughs> I'm just gonna read you bits and pieces from the notes I took while I was watching this movie. All right, just because it's more fun that way. This movie is a 1992 movie called Zipper Face. Now, what this movie is, is this is a movie I bought 10 to 15 years ago that I never watched because I hesitated so long. It's one of those budget releases where it didn't even come in a DVD case. It just came in like a cardboard (laughs) kind of envelope. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know those cardboard kind of envelopes where they even had a a hole at the top where you could hang it on a peg in the store if oh you wanted God, to. Oh, my God, yeah. Kind of like that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to watch Zipperface because it's about an S&M killer. I'm watching this. The guy's in a gimp mask. He goes around killing people. What this is, is it's like 
a low budget. Was this out on VHS? Like I seem to remember. Yeah, the it was out mask. from. Um, it was on VHS from AIP Studios, Action International. It was like a red cover with a gimp mask on it? Is no, that... no, that's Blackout from 1985. Oh, okay. This one had a cover with the gimp mask, but also had a scantily clad woman in front <laughs> because it was put up by Action International Pictures, which was a, a studio run by David A. Pryor, okay. director of Deadly Prey and yeah. Last Lost Platoon and all these other like really low-budget action movies. He was distributing all these like really low budget movies on VHS with all these lurid covers, right? Which I guess worked because I did rent a lot of them. Um, so this is basically a low budget Los Angeles shot erotic thriller without the eroticism. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so I- I'm just gonna go over my notes. Okay, all right. So my first note I wrote down was starts with cop shootout. They paper, rock, scissors to see who goes in to save the hostage <laughs> with slow-mo and bullet. Slow motion diving and riddled with bullets. All right. I'm like, so far off to a good start. Lisa Ryder, played by Donna Adams, named first woman detective in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, look, the killer. Gimp mask, machete wielding. He invites three hot girls to his warehouse and they have to go through some creepy backlit tunnels to get to his love den. He invites them? Is he wearing his gimp mask when he invites them? Yeah, no, he's like, they're prostitute, like escorts. Oh, so he phones them? So he basically phones them, and they show up in their convertible, and they have to walk through these, like, <laughs> they're back... convertible. Yeah, they have a convertible. <laughs> they have to walk through these, ba- these like, freaking factory-like type hallways with pipes all running down oh, them with this backlit like blue backlit behind him so it looks all cre- super creepy and when they get up there he's in his gimp mask and he wants to like whip them and S&M them and stuff right? S&M them? Yeah so it's like sleazy S&M themes all the girls in some form of underwear alright but you know no nudity so they escape and it goes to the chief talking to the female detective saying we've got an S&M guy going around assaulting people while he's guzzling a glass of milk Milk? Milk. <laughs> I was like, why is this guy guzzling milk? <laughs> so, the main actress, Don Adams, this is her only movie. I just remember her laughing a lot during her dialogue. <laughs> or like, someone would talk and she gets this expression like she's going to burst out laughing at any time. I wonder why. <laughs> so, good, good acting. There's a lot of use of the word bimbo in this movie. Okay. Which, you know, I'm always down with people being called bimbos just because I think it's such an antiquated, stupid term. Yeah. Um, she falls in love with this photographer called Michael Walker, who also becomes a suspect at times. Okay. I'm sitting there. Here's my next note after I wrote down photographer Michael Walker. Where's the nudity? With a big question mark. No kidding. After that, I wrote saxophone filled photo session oh, makeout. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I wrote. Why do all the erotic thrillers have to have saxophones? I don't know. Scenes? I don't know. And it's during, usually during a makeout scene too. Oh God, I can just hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right after that, I wrote not enough of title character. Is it like the Night Eyes love scene yes, saxophone? Kind of, yes. <laughs> so the the movie is called Zipperface. He's dubbed Zipperface in the newspapers, but there's not enough of him in this movie. That's my next note. I said not enough title character. <laughs> then I said this must be a quote from the movie because I put quotation marks around it. It's like a hooker convention. <laughs> okay. So, 
obviously somebody uttered that at one time or another, and I found that amusing. I said, unintentionally amusing scene with guy in mayor's office with bondage gear in his briefcase. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's a silly plot, not as grimy as should be considering the premise. Acting is suspect. There's lazy attempts at red herrings. <laughs> Although everything in this movie is lazy. <laughs> Finale with him stabbed in leg. <laughs> oh, wow. I said, there's a finale with leg stabbings and someone being whipped in a spiky bra, apparently. Sold. Sold. So, <laughs> let's just say, remember I, uh, remember earlier tonight when we were having a conversation about Gregory Dark? Yeah. Now, Gregory Dark was <laughs> an L.A.-based guy who directed porn for a long time. New Wave Hookers. Yeah, and then he yeah. kind of transitioned into early 90s erotic thrillers under the name Gregory Hippolyte. Yes. Most of his movies starred Marshmallow Boobs, Shannon Worry. Correct. <laughs> this feels like a Gregory Hippolyte movie without enough boobs, eroticism, or sleaze. Okay, I, I think I, I think I get where you're coming from. So yeah, zipper face, totally so obscure that when I went on Letterboxd, I was the 16th person to log watching it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, there will be 17. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, if, if, if you're at all curious to see the kind of stuff they were cranking out at the heyday, like the a little bit past the heyday of VHS boom, but still kind of the early 90s VHS boom where almost any movie that was made for 5,000 bucks could get out into your local blockbuster. Check out Zipper Face by all means. <laughs> is this readily available or is it? Um, I'm not sure how available it is. Okay. Because I know that the DVD that I have is hard to come by now, I think. Yeah. But I think there is a Region B DVD <laughs> that you can actually get a hold of, of quite easily. So. <laughs> Yeah, zipper face. All right, yeah. zipper face. All right. <laughs> Follow that shit up. <laughs> okay. Well, then. Um, okay, I'll do a couple of quick ones. All right. Okay, I'll just talk. I don't know how to follow that. Jesus. <laughs> I have a few that I could follow it with, but I want to get these two out of the way. All right. Um, just really, really quick on this one. I watched a movie called Sex Ed. Okay. Um, from 2014. It's a comedy. Is this uh, Haley Joel Osment? Yeah, starring Haley Joel okay, Osment. Okay, okay, okay. I've um, never really wanted to see this. <laughs> so, you didn't? Okay. Now so you can tell me how it is. It's directed by Isaac Fitter. I, I don't really... He hasn't really done anything of note that I saw. Um, but it stars Haley Joel Osment as a... Um, a kind of uh, as a high as a well, she, no, he's not even a teacher at the beginning. He's he's just this dude who's unemployed, and uh, he's a uh, is he like a substitute or a teacher's assistant or something? Not not at the beginning. He's oh, just okay. kind of unemployed. He's and, like uh, a schlub. Yeah, he's kind of like Jack Black in School of Rock. Yeah, he's kind of bummed out. He can't get a girlfriend, and he's kind of yeah, like he's just you know having trouble. He's just with, your everyday all around loser, kind of a loser. Yeah, yeah. but a likable loser. Okay. Um. Anyway, I've he never had, heard Haley Joel Osment and likable in the same sentence. I before. liked him in this. Oh, okay. So he gets a job. I think um, it's because I really hated him in Tusk. Oh, yeah. I forgot he's in Tusk. Yeah. I, I haven't seen Tusk. I, I don't think I'm going to see Tusk. No, it's terrible. Yeah. I think you've really sold me on not wanting to see that movie. Yeah. Which is rare for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yet you'll watch Zipperface, I guarantee, in the next week. Um, yeah. Well, you killed Tusk for me with the whole Johnny Depp thing. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, 
Okay, so he gets he gets a he gets a job um, working at a high school in detention. Like he's he's that should hire someone to taking kid care of the kids in detention. So he I've starts, never heard of this before. He starts teaching them sex ed, but the the twist is is that he's a virgin. Oh so, yeah. But it then goes into you know it'd be awesome what? if this movie said okay he's teaching them sex ed. He's a virgin. What he's teaching them is all he's learned from sex comedies of the 80s. Then this movie would be <laughs> fucking amazing. Right. I think that, we that, should I think we should make this that's movie. That's not what happens. That's I don't want I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it's okay. not really that much of a well I guess it is a bit of a cult movie because no one's heard of it really. Um but there's a couple of things. So the, the main thing with this is he starts teaching the kids and then it becomes, you know, that somewhat typical, um, you know, the kids start liking him and he's sort of teaching them and connecting with these kids that, you know, didn't have really anyone to connect with. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. I just thought of another idea. So, so, <laughs> quit quit so, wrecking on, my description. So not only <laughs> is he teaching them sex ed based on what he saw in 80s teen sex comedies, the students begin to like him. They find out that that's how he learned about sex and they try to get him laid. That would be cool. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe you should pitch that to... Uh, Fuck yeah, the sequel. <laughs> sex Ed 2. National Lampoon or something. <laughs> or the, make it. Or the American Pie people. <laughs> American Pie presents Sex Ed. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so... Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to take off the rails. I just... I got this brilliant brainstorm. <laughs> I just don't want to spend too much time right, on this okay, one. Go ahead. Go ahead. So it, anyway, it's, it's a pretty likable... It's, it's a pretty likable... I thought he was really good in this... Um, but it's it's that typical kind of school of rock type type premise where the you know the guy comes in he's kind of a loser connects with the kids the kids are kind of losers too they they start to find themselves through him he starts to find himself through them blah 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 um, also in the mix is Lorenza Izzo who I do like she's Eli Roth's wife and she was the star of Green Inferno and Knock Knock and and some other movies and uh, I really liked her in this she plays the sister of one of the kids who Haley Joel gets a bit of a crush on um we've also got ray santiago i don't really know what he's been in but he's like the kind of hispanic gangs. he's in uh, ash versus evil dead i think is he i think so okay he's the, the like hispanic um boyfriend of lorenzo Izza, who's like kind of uh Izzo, who's kind of uh, jealous of uh, Haley joel and he's a real prick to him uh he was he was he was a lot of fun in this too um well not really a lot of fun but i thought he performed well anyway it's just a kind of an innocuous little sex comedy but um and a little kind of feel-good comedy but i did catch it on netflix and i thought it was pretty fun and it was kind of neat seeing Haley joel because i haven't seen him since the sixth sense so it was kind of neat seeing him in this and i I thought it was a just kind of a nice little movie um another one i'll bring up that i also because i was you know as we know i i scan the netflix queue to see the movies that are expiring soon so sex ed was one of them <laughs> oh okay another one that was expiring soon that i felt compelled to watch unfortunately for me <laughs> so I, i'm gonna rip on this one oh, a little bit oh boy was the poltergeist remake they take that off it let's it, you got a few days oh okay i think if you watch it Oh, it might be today. But, dude, it looks terrible. I think it's June 1st. It looks terrible. Okay, so this has been getting really mixed reviews. And I've actually heard not so bad things about this. Uh, it's directed by Gil Keenan, who, um, from what I could tell, is his most known movie is Monster House, which I think was animated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Okay, so this is from Ghost House, Sam Raimi's company, and it, it is a remake of the original Poltergeist, obviously. Um, and it does stick somewhat close to the story of a family moving into a house that's haunted. And it's got, you know, uh, I'm, I'm imagining most people have seen Poltergeist that are listening to this. But if you had, I'm not going to spoil it. If anything. you haven't watched Poltergeist, please pause us and go watch Poltergeist. Yeah. The 1982 Poltergeist. Yeah. Now, I've watched Poltergeist in the last probably seven years or so. so I. And I, I didn't feel like it held up as much as it, it I remembered. It doesn't, but I still think it's a really good movie just because the family dynamic in that movie is really strong. Okay. Hold that thought. Okay. So this one does carry kind of pretty much the same premise family moves into a house the house is haunted some shit happens including a scene with a clown a scene with a tree right something to do with the closet something to do with the tv and a little girl okay not gonna give too much more away just in case someone hasn't seen poltergeist but it but getting back to what chris said the original movie from 1982, which may or may not have been directed by Toby Hooper and or Steven Spielberg, it's kind of not quite it's known. It's still in the air. Yeah, it's still in the air as to who actually directed it, but it's still kind of a classic, especially when, when we first saw it. I mean, I, I first saw Poltergeist when I was a kid. Yeah, and, and it freaked the living shit out of us. made a huge impression. Yeah. Now, but the it was very relatable, though, and I think a lot of the reason for that, well, definitely a lot of reason for that is because of the family dynamic. Yeah. Particularly between mom and dad, played by Joe Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson yeah. in the original. Yeah. I thought they were a really believable couple. I mean, I mean, there's scenes of them smoking pot together in bed. Yeah, they get the kids to bed and they go smoke pot upstairs. Yeah, and it's in their just bedroom. something you don't really see, you didn't really see a lot in a family movie in that era. Um, but it, I thought it was also quite realistic as to how a family would operate. Right. And they're both quite likable as parents. Yeah. Um, and then I thought the kids also in the original, played by Heather O'Rourke and Robbie Benz, Robbie, I can't remember the, the boy's name. Sorry, boy. Uh, but <laughs> but the kids were, were also pretty good. And you just really kind of bought them as a family. Yes. And Dominique Dunn, of course, is the daughter, as the older daughter. Now. Well, that's this is why I'm saying that's why the first one still... Even though it's dated in some aspects, the 82 one, yeah, that's the reason that movie still works. It's dated in some aspects, but Heather O'Rourke, I thought, really delivered as far as what yeah. happened to her in that movie. I thought, you know, some of the effects are a little cheesy in that movie. Yeah, there's there's a scene involving a um, a mirror. Yeah. And like a hallucination kind of thing yeah. that I used to think was so awesome when I was young. But watching it recently, I was like, okay, that hasn't aged that great. Yeah. But it's the same thing with the original Terminator with yeah. the mirror scene yeah, yeah. In involving the eyeball. That also does not look very good anymore. Of course. But I still think it's I still think it's a pretty solid movie. No, I, I still I still really dig the original Poltergeist. Yeah. Now, here's the problem with this one. And I hate to say it. I really hate to say it, but fucking Sam Rockwell. I don't know what the hell was going on. He's always so solid. I don't know what was going on with him. I felt, and you know, I've read some reviews after, as I often do, and I'm finding, so again, I'm kind of in the minority here, shocking, but um, I've people are going on about how great Sam Rockwell is in this movie. And honestly, I felt like Sam Rockwell was pissed off off that he was in this movie Hmm. that's what i got the whole movie i was like 
he does not want to be here. And this guy, he he was like playing the. It was like he was playing the most assholeish father he could think of. So he was like a uh, kind of a kind of like a. It reminded me of like a a father that would rather be watching football with a beer on the couch than having anything to do with his kids. He was he was downbeat all the time. He was he was putting everything down all the time. He was putting himself down. It was self yeah, it was just his whole character was just awful to me. I also felt he had no chemistry with his wife in the movie, Rosemary DeWitt, who she's uh, been in a ton of indie movies. I felt like there was nothing there, but I, I just I I just couldn't connect to the family. I was just like, I don't like this guy. I think he's a dick. And I thought he was a dick to his kids. And I thought he was a dick to everyone around him. So I thought it really ruined the movie. He yeah. really ruined the That's movie. That's really weird because he's so, so solid. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if, if you see that. And I'm also curious just if anyone else thinks that because I just couldn't get past it. And like he was just, he was just so like just such a kind of a rotten character like hmm. not like he he wasn't going around like beating his wife or like cheating on her or anything he was just a real downer just a real like negative nelly and hmm. uh everything that came out of his mouth so when it, when he's trying to be heroic i'm just like whatever loser so uh yeah i thought it really wrecked the movie so it was hard for me to get past that they um brought into the movie some ghost hunter type stuff some reality tv stuff that i thought was kind of interesting but honestly i just couldn't get back past sam rockwell's character so that's what ruined this movie for me so it's it's hard for me to say um too much more about it because i was just so taken out of it by that well and the problem is too is that i can't think of the original like poltergeist without thinking of uh tangia too the character tangia the um the psychic yeah who they bring in played by uh, I can't remember the actress's name right, right now right, yeah but you know I can't think of Poltergeist without that character being there and as far as I know that character is not in this yeah this new movie either and it's like you said what's well, the reality show guy uh, yeah, yeah so it's like it's a it's a weird replacement for me and also it's just unnecessary yeah that's what I felt too just unnecessary and. Um... Like, if you've already got... Okay, here's my stance on remakes. I think I've expressed this before. If it is a movie that is already, on its own, a very good movie, doesn't need a remake. If it is a movie that had ambition and ideas and it didn't quite pan off, then go ahead. Try and do something different with it. But when Poltergeist is still considered a classic... Yeah. And it's still a solid movie. Even watching it all these years later, there's no need to redo it. Yeah. I mean, I would rather Ghost House took a gamble on an original story. Yeah, I agree. Than like Blumhouse is doing. <laughs> yeah. Than Poltergeist. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I said, I mean, if when the whole thing that's riding on the original is the family dynamic, like we yeah. talked about, it's yeah. pretty well known that that's kind of what's holding that movie together. When you're when you kind of abandon that, maybe it's just me. I mean, you know, I don't be... know. I, I might have to check it out because, like, I really like Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I'd be like, interested. I, I like Moon. I like the Way Way Back. Yeah, I really like Sam Rockwell too. Right? Yeah, don't so get me it's, wrong. It's just weird. Love the guy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It was. It was uh, quite jarring just seeing. He just. Yeah. It was. I don't know what what was up with him, but it just felt like he just 
didn't want to be there. All right. Well, maybe he didn't. Didn't want to be in the relationship and also didn't want to be in the movie. <laughs> so it's kind of like resenting his kids. You know, it was weird. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to bring it back around. <laughs> We're going to go to 1976. I watched a movie that I have not seen since I saw it on television as a child. It's a Burt I. Gordon jam based on part of an H.G. Wells novel called The Food of the Gods. Marjo! Now, <laughs> this movie is not good in some aspects, but very good in other aspects. Yeah. So the basic of this movie is Josh's main man, Marjo Gortner, from, yep. from Earthquake, Viva Knievel, and Star Crash, <laughs> yeah. and his amazing fucking perm. Oh, he's awesome. Takes a break <laughs> from playing professional football to head out to the island for a weekend cruise. The island is Bowen Island out Bowen here in island. British Columbia, which yeah. I actually just visited about a year ago. Did you? And so you recognize the ferry. Yeah. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, he goes to this island and he's just there to have fun and go hunting and what have you with some of his teammates. And it turns out that some of the locals have found kind of this spring that is bubbling up this like yellow goo and they're feeding it to their livestock and it makes their livestock become gigantic. Yeah. Now, obviously they're like, this is great. I got giant chickens. I'm going to be able to sell the meat for lots of money. They're making these eggs. I'm going to, you know, it's going to help my farm. But at the same time, all the other animals on that island have been eating it. So we've got giant mosquitoes. We've got giant rats. We've got giant this, giant yeah. everything. We've got, you know, and Marjo is in the middle of this. Yep. So he's kind of the hero of this. There's other people on the island, and they're all kind of getting attacked by giant animals. Yep. Now, this being a Burt I. Gordon movie, not only did he do the screenplay, he also did the special effects. Right. Now, this is a guy who's been doing special effects for his movies since the 1950s. You know, he had a movie called The Beginning of the End, which was a giant grasshopper movie where basically all he did was take grasshoppers and throw them on cardboard skyscrapers. Yeah. Uh, he did a movie called The Amazing Colossal Man, which is a fun little guy becomes a giant terrorizes a town kind of movie. He's done all kinds of movies like this. Um, Attack of the Puppet People, all these forced perspective special effects, which he uses in this movie as well. And granted, some of these effects actually work okay. Right. So... A lot of this movie's taken up with these giant rats rampaging through the island. And those scenes are actually okay. Because there's some gory scenes of them chewing on people with blood. And, you know, there's the typical force perspective of having real rats climbing on cardboard sets. And it's <laughs> obvious because it's the farmhouse. But you can tell it's a painting yeah. <laughs> that they're climbing on. It's got these really, really terrible, terrible... I think they're supposed to be either bumblebees or mosquitoes. Right. And they're total rubber, and they look terrible. Yeah, they but do. that also adds to kind of the charm of this movie <laughs> in a way. I'm not going to go out on the limb and say this is an awesome film, but if it's if you like these kind of 70s drive-in flicks with like the giant monsters, you'll have a fun time with Food of the Gods. Plus, Marjo. Who's the girl? Was it uh, Heather Menzies? No, no, no. I just can't remember her name. It's... Uh, hang on. I will tell you in one second. It's not her, though. I'm going to flip through my book here. Bear with me. Her name is, the actress is Pamela Franklin. Okay. Yeah. So, it's it's a fun little flick. It's, you know, it, it does what it's supposed to do. You know, it's, you know, some 
older character actors like Struther Mar- Martin, not Struther <laughs> Martin, sorry, uh, Ida Lupino. They show up and and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> they they show up and they have their lines. They're talking about how it's a gift from the gods. It's making our livestock and all that. And then it's just endless animal attacks. Marjo looking cool, holding a rifle. You know, and then escaping the island, basically. Why was Ida Lupino in this, man? I don't know. I guess she was just needed something to do. But, <sighs> you know, it's out on a double feature Blu-ray from uh, Scream Factory with the movie Frogs, which we spoke about briefly when I talked about Face Off a little while ago. Yeah. It's, uh, it's if you're like these kind of movies, I'd say watch it. I remember it not being, well, I remember it not being too memorable, but... But I remember more about it than I do about Prometheus, so I don't yeah, know what that's like. Saying. Like it's it, it, it's okay. I I prefer his uh his movie he made a year later with Empire of the Ants with Joan Collins, right? Which is another one of these rampaging, oversized insect movies. Yeah, I preferred that one. But Food of the Gods was a was an okay eighty nine minutes. They actually made a sequel to this movie. Yeah, in nineteen eighty nine called Gnaw, <laughs> Food of the Gods two, <laughs> and it's a Canadian tax shelter movie. Directed by Damien Lee, who, <laughs> if you're into Canadian flicks, that name will be totally recognizable yeah. to you. He made a bunch of action movies throughout the 80s. He made a movie with our pal from Predator, Jesse the Body Ventura, called Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. Oh, yes. Which yeah. is actually a stupidly fun little movie, too. Yeah. And, you know, I remember all I remember about that movie is there's a scene with all the rats in a college swimming pool. <laughs> and there's a scene with a giant mutant kid. Nice. And that's all I remember about Food of the Gods too. Yeah. So, you know, if you're if you're into seventies driving flicks that American International cranked out, then Food of the Gods is is worth your while. Yeah, I'm kinda interested in revisiting it just for Marjo, but uh and just for Bowen Island. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. It's like I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was doing through the movie. But it it's okay. It's it's not spectacular. There's better giant bug movies out there for sure. Yeah. But it's fun for what it is. Nice. Okay, well, talking about creatures. All right, let's talk. Finally, about, a segue. Let's talk about Chud. Oh, you watch Chud? I watch Chud. I don't mind Chud. Arrow Pictures has what put does, out. What does a, Chud stand for, Josh? I can't remember. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Well, it actually stands for two things. Oh, I just can't remember what they are. Oh, okay. But I don't. I think that that's actually not what it stands for. It well, actually stands famous for the known other for. thing. Oh, okay. that's on the. The, the the tanks that they find in the all subway right, system. Right. Okay, so Arrow has put out a Blu-ray special edition of this movie, which I remember not being that good. So I was a little surprised when they chose it, but hey, let's it's got a cult following. Let's go with it. Directed by Douglas Cheek, he hasn't done anything else. So this is his only big movie. The movie opens with a. <laughs> Woman walking her dog down oh, yeah. an abandoned street in New York City and walks by a manhole and a monster jumps out. And, and a chud gets her. Grabs her and her dog. Oh, yeah. Leaving just her shoe. Yeah. On. And then a street cleaner comes along and street cleans up the shoe. Oh, yeah. So that's a pretty sweet opening scene. Come on. Yeah, I've also got a segue from Poltergeist in that there's also another asshole lead in this, this time played by John Hurd, who is also 
kind of a prick and he's huh. a, he's introduced right away he's a photographer and um he's kind of a jerk you should and... just start calling people he's a ferris bueller <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> um here's a ferris bueller from this movie did John you Hurt. see that thing i posted on her facebook page you didn't see that no. i posted this thing on her facebook page just as a side note here just because chris brought up ferris bueller there's a fan theory that <laughs> That the whole movie is a figment of Cameron's imagination. Oh yeah, yeah. And okay. Ferris Bueller is just a is oh, yeah, like his alter that. ego. Yeah, I did see that. I thought it was really interesting, actually. Huh. C- cool little article. So if you haven't, if you're if you're a Ferris Bueller fan and you want a totally different perspective, go check out that article on our Facebook page. Anyway, back to Chud. So yeah, John Hurd um, is introduced. He's this photographer. He's got this girlfriend. And he's a total whiner. Like, he's a total, like, meh, meh, I don't want you to model. And meh, meh, meh. and um, he's also got no chemistry with his girlfriend, who's played by uh, Kim Greist, who was the um, uh, Will Graham or uh, William Peterson's um, wife in Manhunter. Um, so he's at a photo shoot. His girlfriend's modeling perfume or something but i don't know he's there and he's i don't want to be here i just want to be okay then the photograph then the weirdest thing happened like and i don't know if i was just not following along good enough or what what happened but he gets a phone call in the middle of the photo shoot and it's this homeless woman who's calling him from jail so he like runs out of the photo shoot and drives down to the police station to pick up this homeless woman he somehow knows now okay no that's starting to come together now that i'm talking about it because he's his 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 other project is he's a photographer of homeless people hmm. so he goes around shooting homeless people kind of like our our reporter in that movie i reviewed last week that i don't remember the name of it where the what was that? The fucking Danny Trejo, twenty feet below. Oh, twenty feet. Yeah, below. this is this is like the photographer. You're not a cop. You're a photographer. <laughs> He's the photographer of the reporter in uh, Twenty Feet Below. Anyway, so he his other thing is he so he goes and picks up this homeless woman from jail, and then they go down into the sewers because all the homeless people, I guess, in this movie as well, live in the the abandoned in the subway tunnels. So they go down there and. Uh, he finds this dude down there, this other homeless dude, who's got a big piece of his skin missing. Um, so that that's that. Meanwhile, we we are introduced to a cop who's, <laughs> whose wife is missing because she was the woman in the opening scene that got eaten by the... Or got pulled down at the, into the manhole. And he um, he's trying to investigate the disappearance of his wife and and uh, what's going on in the um why why people are seem to be disappearing in new york city so he goes over to see his buddy played by daniel stern who runs a soup kitchen who informs him that all kinds of homeless people have been not showing up so they both go to the cops and they're like kind of in in it together trying to figure out what's happening eventually daniel stern meets up with john hurd and they go investigating the tunnels meanwhile the occasionally these chud monsters come out of the manhole and attack someone um so i don't know did you you like this movie I remember, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember thinking it was all right. I remember I liked the creature effects. Yeah, I remember not being impressed when I first saw this. And they have what, like these glowing greenish eyes. They do have glowing greenish eyes. You're correct. Um, I remember Daniel Stern was actually okay in this. 
he was okay. So Daniel Stern's kind of known for kind of comedy. Yeah, kind Home of, Alone and stuff like that. Which one? Home Alone. Home Alone, City Slickers, those types of movies. But he was also in Diner and Breaking Away. So he's kind of a weird... But I, I always think of him as this like kind of loud guy with crazy hair. Um, the effects were by John Caglione Jr., who did um, Basket Case. Okay. And Poltergeist 3 and, of course, Manhunter. Um, it also had a small appearance by John Goodman and uh, Jay Thomas in, in small roles. But overall, I, I, you know, I thought the finale was sort of okay, but I just kind of felt like this sort of just meandered around. Yeah, it's a little slower paced, I remember. Yeah, and we were just sort of following different characters. I didn't know who, who was really... I didn't know which... which I didn't really have a lead. I was supposed to felt like I was following. Right. Like John Hurd was kind of a dink and, and I, so I wasn't really caring too much about him. Daniel Stern wasn't really given enough to be a lead. So I think it was the cop, but again, I, I just wasn't really that into him. So I didn't really have someone to be kind of rooting for. Um, and then, you know, by the time the finale came around and there's a lot of like stuff about, uh, you know, corruption and, and environmental stuff and, and, um, you know, government cover-ups and so forth. And I just, I just felt like they were throwing a lot into this, but not really giving me a real plot to follow. It just was sort of going off in a bunch of different directions with the odd creature attack. So I don't, I don't think I'd recommend this. Um, I also, it's also one of the, few commentaries where i actually got frustrated and turned it off hmm. which i thought would be better because it had the director john hurd daniel stern and the writer but i uh oh and and the second another actor as well so um but yeah i was i was just it was one of those commentaries where they're just sort of um there's no moderator so they're just sort of there's long periods of silence with five people in the room where it's like they're all just transfixed by the movie. And yeah. then there'll be the occasional, oh, and here is the uh, part where this happens, you know, and they don't really tell you anything. So, yeah, I, unfortunately, I'm not going to really recommend Chud. Um, but, yeah. I, it's I, better than Chud, too. <laughs> I know. They're, both of them are just kind of weird choices for me. Arrow picked this one up, and then Vestron picked up Chud, too. And I just... It just there's feels such, like there's so much better out there you could be doing. There's so much different tones between the two movies, too. Because the first movie's trying to have this, like, message, kind of, like yeah. you said. And then the second one is just total horror comedy, where, really, there's not even a chud in it. Because it's really? just, like, Garrett Graham's character is just, like, this resurrected dude who has pointy teeth. Mm. And they call him Bud the Chud. Oh, really? Yeah. So you don't see the same creatures? No. Oh. Yeah, and it's just not a... It's it's a pretty terrible movie. Yeah. It's pretty terrible. Yeah, and I'm I'm usually... I've been pretty supportive of the Arrow releases to date, but this one... Um, I'm sure they did a good job with the transfer. I'm sure everything. they did. If you're a fan, I'm sure it's worth picking up, but I'm, uh, it didn't you're, convert you're me. You're not a Chud fan. Didn't convert me over. I thought it might because I, I do find when a movie's really cleaned up and... Uh, it, it can sort of give it a new life, but it, yeah, this one didn't really grab yeah, me. I have the Anchor Bay DVD of this, and I think that's all I probably need. I think that's all you need, too. All right. Yeah. How, how many you got left over there, Josh? I got a bunch left still. I've got one, so why don't you keep going? Um, okay, actually, I don't have that many left, but right. I, I will keep going. Okay, so um, as far as series go, I'm going to continue my uh, Ghost House Underground series. Okay. This will be brief <laughs> as well. So this is called Brotherhood of Blood, and I am going chronologically by release date on these. I've been curious about this movie, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say. So 2007, 
Okay, here's here's how I'll start this. This was directed by Michael Roche and Peter Shearer. Okay. Why do you care? Well, Chris, that's because But they, I don't care, Josh. Well, you might in a second. Okay. Because they're the writers. They're both German. I'll give okay. you that. Are they the writers of Dark Floors? No, but they're the writers of Alone in the Dark and House of the Dead 2. Yeah. F- okay, fuck this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we have a, a Uwe Boll connection, and um, okay. I think I was mostly just into it because Sid Haig's in it. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, re- can you repeat that, please? I think I just was into. I it don't think a lot of people Sid say that. Haig is in it. Yeah. Okay. So I would agree with you wholeheartedly if this was made in the seventies. Okay. But nowadays, Sid Haig being in a movie can be a bit of a problem. Um, I do like Sid Haig, but I do find, especially after that Night of the Living Dead remake fiasco, oh yeah, he is just kind of in whatever right for a paycheck and it, it's funny when you watch Sid Haig on special features all he says it's like it's like he's on repeat he's just like I really enjoyed the script I thought the script was really good and it's like that's his script he's like the, he's got that robot thing going on yeah yeah this movie was awesome I really liked <laughs> the script the directors are really nice exactly <laughs> so I thought this would be okay because it had Sid Haig in it it had Ken Foray in it from okay. Dawn of the Dead uh, it had Jason Connery in it Sean Connery's son who sounds like Sean Connery Surprise, surprise. Oh, Miss Moneypenny, we're going to kill us some vampires. <laughs> uh, it's got, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> uh, it's got Victoria Pratt in it, um, um, playing the female lead. She was in House of the Dead 2. No, but she's, her. she's a Canadian actress that's in um, in a lot of these low-budget movies that are shot in, uh, like, I would imagine. Well, I don't, actually, I don't know if this was shot in Canada. But um, she's she's been in a bunch of low budget movies, and I actually I don't even know if she's Canadian. Strike that. But um, she she was she was pretty good. Like she was all right for a for a female lead in, in a movie like this. Um, I thought it had a bit of interesting cutting. It cut between like um, very short short um, short term time frame, but it cut between like yesterday and today and two days ago. Um, or a week ago or something like that, but it, it sort of bounced back and forth. So I kind of like the editing there a little yesterday bit. Yesterday was today, and today was two days ago. What's that? I don't know. I just felt like... <laughs> okay. I'm livening the, this up. The main wrote, the note, main note I wrote about this is why do... <laughs> why, <laughs> I don't know if I tweeted this or not, but why do so many vampires look like Dave Navarro? You did tweet <laughs> this. Why do they? Every one of these low-budget vampire movies has this one fucking guy who's got the, <laughs> the goatee. Shirt, the shirtless goatee the, long hair. Yeah. Every one of them has this guy. And they're all different actors, but they all look like Dave Navarro. Huh. Um, yeah, and this had one of those guys. I don't have a lot to say about this movie. It's about this vampire hunting clan who are trying to, trying to like... Hunt vampires. Hunt vampires. Yeah. And one of them gets captured. And they have to try and find the... Mm try and go get her out and then then they end up capturing a vampire and then it's kind of like return yeah exactly and you know i gotta say man like this is sam raimi's underground company like sam raimi is yeah the but guy i'm wondering behind- if he has any 
thing to do with this film selection. I heard he personally selected this movie to be part of his huh. the second release on his label. Huh. And I don't understand. And I also don't understand there's some positive reviews on IMDb for this. Now, that might have been Plants. But, um, yeah, this was, this was terrible. Okay. So I like the tattooist. I don't know if I can say that. Anyway, I'm 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 thinking this is going to be a rough. My rough... eyes are bugging out that you said you liked the tattooist. Well, no, I did not like the tattooist compared to this. I don't know. That's a it's a tough decision there. Oh, okay. If you were holding a gun to my head, I would just have to say one of the names of the movies. Just pull the trigger. <laughs> I yeah, I, I didn't like this. Um, right. But yeah, I think this is going to be a, a tough tough go of it. Going through these Ghost House Underground movies, knowing Dark Floors is coming up. Oh, have fun, dude. I think there is a few decent ones. Well, Dance of the Dead. Dance of the Dead's in there. I think that's what it's called. I think there's something else in there that's that's okay. But <laughs> anyway, we'll see how it goes. I'm having more fun with Police Academy than you're having with <laughs> Ghost House Underground. That's true. I've got two more. I got one more. So I will do mine. Then we can do yours. I think it might be the same as one of mine. I don't think so. I think it might be. All right. Well, we'll see. I doubt it. But we'll see. Um, I watched. Come on, man! I think it might be. I watched a 1978 movie. (laughs) Really, man? Oh, maybe you did. (laughs) Why did you? Wow. Okay. Let's talk about it then. What movie am I talking about, Josh? You know, man, what I'm talking about, man. (laughs) Dave's not here. Pedro, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you did watch it. (laughs) Fucking hell! This is weird. You must have saw that I watched it or something. I did. I did. I watched 1978's Up in Smoke. The debut movie for stoner duo Cheech and Chong. That's right. Directed by Lou Adler, who only directed one other movie after this called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. He did a great but movie. is also known as a record producer. He also discovered Cheech and Chong. Uh, he's at, worked with the Mamas and the Papas, Grassroots, Carol King, all those kind of guys. This guy's an icon. Produced Monterey, the Monterey Pop Festival and yeah. also produced Rocky Horror yeah. Picture he's, Show. He's, a, he's yeah. an icon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess he decided, because at the time, Cheech and Chong had a string of really successful comedy albums. Yeah. And uh, they decided to transition to film. And what they did was they basically took their characters, they created in their comedy albums, brought a bunch of other characters like Sergeant Stadenko and, and guys like that and made this movie. And this is a kind of a plotless jumble of fun <laughs> is the way I... There's really not a lot of plot in this movie. Like, basically, this movie is just the two characters joining up, getting high, <laughs> avoiding the cops... And then eventually having to drive a van made completely out of marijuana back from Mexico <laughs> to get to a battle of the bands. <laughs> that's, that's, basically, that's basically the entire plot. While being pursued by a police officer. Yeah. So <laughs> I got to tell you, man, I love Up and Smoke. I really do. Really? I, I still like it. I still think it's a lot of fun. I, I think it's a quotable movie, you know. You get yourself a goddamn job or you're going to end up like that Finkelstein shit kid. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like, and Pedro, like, I really think Chong and Cheech and Chong were, this is their pinnacle. You know, these guys made like five movies. This is their pinnacle. Okay, yeah. This movie has a great fucking soundtrack. This is the movie that introduced me to war and Lowrider. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, this has that awesome. Uh, kind of like funk 
Mexican fusion war sounding track lost due to incompetence with quotes from the movie. Okay. Um, it's got earache my eye. Yeah. With Cheech playing his character, Alice Bowie, which is a combination of Alice Cooper and David Bowie. He's pretty awesome in that scene. Pretty awesome. Um, Tom Skerritt shows up in this. (laughs) playing a Vietnam vet called Strawberry. And the reason he's called Strawberry is because he's Pre-alien Tom Scarrett. Yeah, and the reason he's called Strawberry is because he's got like this giant (laughs) birthmark that runs up his neck. Yeah. There's a scene of a chick snorting Drano. (laughs) 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 This chick's my favorite part of the movie. She's awesome. (laughs) She's so awesome. June Fair... What's her name? Uh, June Fairchild is her actual name. She's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was my favorite yeah i love that and part. you know and and the first time pedro sees the chong character he's like he's hitchhiking but he's tied his shirt up so it looks like he's got giant boobs yeah and she just sees him out of the corner of his eye and he's like oh hitching guy you know he turns around and picks her up and they go on this adventure yeah which is pretty much every Cheech and chong movie they yeah. just get themselves into these set pieces yeah but None of the set pieces in the other movies are quite as fun as this movie. No, that's that. I, 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 I mean, I, it, it did make me. <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> I was going through this going, man, there's just nothing here. <laughs> no, no, there's no plot. <laughs> but I, I, but I did by the end of it. I they had kind of won me over, and I and I was into it. Um, you haven't mentioned Stacy Keach. Stacy Keach is Sergeant Stadenko, <laughs> who just it just seems, he just gives it. He, <laughs> He really does. He, he's so good, and he, you know, he's he's not really been in a. I think he was in a lot of serious movies before this. Yeah, and, yeah. He he's not really a comedy type of guy. He doesn't ha- quite have the uh, demeanor or looks for comedy. Yeah, and uh, he pretty good. He gives it pretty good in this movie. Yeah, he really because he plays like the main cop who wants to stop drugs. Yeah, and you know he. He's got the scenes of the stakeouts in the laundry van where they pull the zipper down to look out <laughs> to watch people. And, you know, he's chasing Cheech and Chong through the whole movie because, like, um, he's heard that there's going to be a van made of marijuana coming from Mexico. And there's this awesome scene where they're at the border. Yeah. And, and Chong's, like, got this giant joint. And he's, like, puffing away at it. And they're like, get rid of it, man. Get rid of it. So he keeps, he's going as fast as he can to try and smoke it. Yeah. He's like, no, not like that. And he throws it out of the van and it ends up in this, this car full of nuns. <laughs> and the next scene's like Sergeant Tadenko and all of his like cronies basically cavity searching these nuns. Yeah. Which is a pretty awesome scene. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've got them all like lined up against the thing and they all got these looks, but one of the nuns is totally into it and gets this like this smirk on her face. Like she's enjoying it. Yeah. You know, there's this awesome scene with drug dog. Oh yeah, that's yeah, a good scene. It, yeah. it, it's it's a fun movie. Like you know, there's a scene. Just it's like a comedy of errors. Yeah, you know, Cheech and Chong in a police station getting on like the uh, the radio. Then I'm gonna take off your dress <laughs> and stuff like that. It's just a memorable, quotable movie. Yeah, there's a great um, a great kind of. Uh, Three's company style scene where Chong's in the van. Um, yeah, oh yeah. Where it's kind of like sounds like he's having sex. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not really. So I thought that that really reminded me of Three's yeah, company. It's just like it's just a bunch of set pieces that are just so goofy. And like you said, you go into this movie and you're just like kind of like, what the hell am I watching? But by the end, these guys have won you over. Yeah, totally. Like so. the, there's none of their movies match this. The, their follow-up movie, next movie, has its moments too, but I'm really not into Cheech and Chong like I used to be, but I still really like Up in Smoke. 
Yeah, and it's funny because neither of us are stoners. No. Now, I, I do have a story about this movie. All right. Um, so the last time I watched Up in Smoke was in high school. When you were up in smoke? And I was up in smoke. And all I remember is watching this movie at this girl's house with a few friends. <laughs> and um, I don't know how to say this in a politically correct way. I'll do my best. I just remember waking up. <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but it's going to be awesome. I remember wake watching the movie, and then I remember waking up, and my hand was like under this girl's shirt, and her tongue was down my throat. Hmm. And um, but this was not this was not the best <laughs> situation. <laughs> it was very unerotic, like zipper face. So <laughs> I, me and my buddy, I, I I don't remember the last time I've run that far because we like left the house and ran <laughs> yeah it was yeah so that's my last memory of up in smoke <laughs> that's a weird story you it was weird and well, I, okay okay whoa, 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 whoa. okay so you woke up with your so hand she was basically date raping me oh, okay, okay okay yeah okay like i was passed out okay okay because okay. i had smoked too much ganja that <laughs> night yeah. No, it's Acapulco Gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a that was a that was a bad scene. Um okay, I just wanted to bring up a few things about this movie just as far as um LA punk because I I I do kind of like the scene at that time. Um so there is a few pretty notable things about that here. Um so the the grand finale is is a battle of the bands like Chris mentioned. Yeah. And it does take place at the Roxy, yep. which was also known as the Key Club in, for in later days. Um and also I think that was Gazari Gazaros from uh, if you watched Decline of the Western Civilization part 2, I think that's might be that same club. Um Rodney Bingenheimer makes yep. a um, makes an K-Rock. appearance, and just wanted to bring him up right now because uh, he's been on K Rock for which is a radio station. It's one of the most influential radio stations. Yeah, he because he was given a show um, called Rodney on the Rock on K Rock back around this time actually, and um, he's he was basically just played whatever he wanted, and yeah, he broke a lot of bands. Broke a lot of bands, and it was just announced actually last week that they're taking him off the air. Yeah, after he got fired. I'm not sure what the years details of it were. His last show is coming up in June, so there's it's still coming. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting that I literally just read that story and then saw him in this movie. Yeah. Um, and also just in the Battle of the Bands, um, if you're a fan of the punk scene in L.A., um, the second band that plays is called The Dills, and they were... Um, most people, if you're into valley punk, you know who they are. The first band that plays was called the Berlin Brats in the movie. Um, but the lead singer, Rick Wilder, be, um, that band disbanded shortly thereafter this movie. But they became a band. Uh, he started a new band called the Mau Maus, who are kind of legendary in, in the L.A. punk world. And he was a real character. So it's kind of cool seeing him in his original band in this movie. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to throw those things in there. And also, back to the uh, Drano snorting chick. Yeah. Um, she makes a, her initial appearance, which is freaking hilarious. But then she's also comes back for a very brief scene where she's with another woman who can't stop laughing. Yeah. Uh, and that second woman is Cheryl Rainbow Smith, who is in a whole ton of women in prison movies and is kind of a cult legend. So just a couple of little cool things to look for if you do decide to revisit this. So, so all I got to say is, even if you are not a stoner, 
this is one of those Stoner movies that you should be able to get some entertainment out of. I'm watching the whole series now, man. Oh, dude, me too. <laughs> we should like try and time it so we have them every time. I think yeah, I think I've only seen the first two ever. I have them and all. And Corsican Brothers. I've I seen. actually have them all. Do you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like I just recently bought um, Things Are Tough All Over. Okay. Because that's the one I was missing. Do you? Is the Shout Select uh, next movie out yet? Not yet. But I have the. I actually bought a. Um, <laughs> I actually bought a, a. Universal put out a triple. I think it's a triple feature one called the Midnight Munchies Collection, <laughs> and it's Cheech and Chong's next movie, Chong uh, Cheech's movie Born in East LA, right, right. and uh, I can't remember what the third movie is in that pack. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that on the. Yeah, I got, I got that recently because I was I lost my copy of next movie that I had the individual release. And I've wanted to revisit Born in East L.A. anyway because it's based on uh, Cheech's novelty hit that was a parody yeah. of Born in, Born, in the USA. Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. So I'm like, well, I want to see that again. So why not pick this up because it's got next movie in it anyway? Yeah, it's funny because um, this this guy I used to like really look up to, he was uh, my dad used to own a car dealership mm-hmm. and I... Uh, I worked. This guy's going to come up again later in the episode as well. This this uh, character in my life, but um, I remember the first thing I, first time I heard about Cheech and Chong was through this guy, and I just remember him talking about next movie. He's like, and he was this, he's this like Fijian guy, and he's like, yeah, man, <laughs> there's this movie and these people, and all they do is smoke drugs and they drink piss, man. They drink piss. <laughs> so anyway, that happens in next movie, but I yeah. I'll always remember this this guy Sammy saying that to me, and it did, did make me watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, expect some next movie in the future. I think. Right on. All right, so Josh's Beatrice Adventures. <laughs> yes, uh, this was an adventure. I will tell you. So um, this one uh, in my. Uh, Further exploration on my VHS collection is called Games of Survival. Oh, is this the Armin Gazarian jam? How do you know that? Because I've seen this. Oh, it's my. a Ray Dawn home video release. It's terrible. God. Okay, this is from 1989. The cover's awesome. I don't know how the fuck Chris knows the director's name off the top of his head. Fuck yeah. How do you... Like, I really... I'm baffled by this. Because I have a lot of shitty, useless information wow. floating around in my brain. That is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> okay. So, okay, this is... The, the, Obviously, this movie made enough of an impression on me to remember his name. I've seen this movie before, and I remember hating it. But I, I, I have you, this thing. You kind of like it now. I had to watch it again. No, um, the cover's awesome. Okay, it, it does have a cool cover. It has this cool looking. Uh, it's like a gladiator, post-apocalyptic gladiator, wearing dude. shades and oh, with yeah. long hair. Um, I rented this at the Seven Eleven when I was a kid. <laughs> oh my god! So he, um, so th- this movie also might be. I think my box says game of survival but then the title card comes up as games of survival. yeah it's called game of survival in the box game of survival yeah yeah so i think the real title is games of okay. survival okay so <laughs> okay i don't really know what this was about i can't believe i said armin gazarian jam i cannot believe you said that either okay so it opens with a shitty voiceover um, in the future there is a post-apocalyptic games of survival exactly <laughs> we can hear the thoughts of the main dude and he's like not the smartest guy so like <laughs> let's just put it that way. i am going to win the games of survival yeah exactly to win back my love okay then out of nowhere there's this cool blue dune buggy 
that comes out. Well, you can't have a post-apocalyptic <laughs> movie without a Dune buggy. But no reason. Like it's just. But it is. It was a really cool looking blue Dune buggy. Okay. Um. Okay. Little then, Dune buggy. Then there's a guy. <sighs> It's chasing people around, and then then there's this guy in a motorbike <laughs> helmet with a robot voice, and it's just it's just kind of a mishmash. You're like, okay, what am I getting into here? Okay, cut to these snake lizard alien creatures in in their spaceship that say they've decided to create some. They've created this game of survival. This sounds like a Donald G. Jackson movie. So what they've done is they've. These aliens have created this game where they've put they put all these like it's kind of like a running man scenario where we've got like these different kind of villain people with all their special abilities or they're they're all, all, they each have their own special look to them and they're put back on earth and basically the last man standing wins the game and there's also this part of the game is they have to I I I, I don't really know but they have to they have to get this ball. Do you, you don't remember any of this clearly? I remember some of it. There's there's some ball they have to get. So they're all kind of after this little ball. <laughs> I, I can't really explain this properly. So just imagine like a phantasm sphere. They're all chasing a phantasm sphere. There now everyone knows what I'm talking. Just think about. of rollerball meets road war. <laughs> so. <laughs> They're going around. Um, we've got a guy in an Alice Cooper shirt who's a drug dealer, of course. Um, we've, you know, we're, we're seeing some scenes from LA that, you know, from this time period and with not really much going on except for our lead dude wandering around looking for the ball. Uh, we've got, you know, we see an Angeline mural being printed. If you don't know who Angeline is, she was like a very famous mural that was on, uh, on the down in LA at the time in that time period. Um, and then it's just basically fights. It's like the different people that are like looking for the ball and trying to win the game meet up somewhere, battle it out, and then run off. And then then someone else wanders into the scene, and then there's two other people fighting. And this whole movie is just like a brawl between different characters. Do you, you don't remember this? You're looking totally blank. Right I, now. I, I was no, I'm not looking blank. I'm thinking in my head. I want to watch this. This sounds awesome. No, you do not. <laughs> so we've got like a midget character. I'm sorry, a little person. I really a, don't remember a lot about with this. With a to bow be and arrow, we've got um, a guy with raccoon eyes. We've got a big black guy with a mace. We've got a. How can this not be awesome? Yeah, we've got a guy with a club. Okay. I don't understand how this cannot be awesome. It is because it's boring. Um, how is it boring if it's just fights for like... Uh, we're going to... Okay, you know what? Fuck you. We're going to watch this after we're, we're finished recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do we have to? You wanted it. You're going to get it. We've got this... Then there, then there's a babe, this, uh, like a love introduce, interest, interest that's introduced to our main character. And she woos him by making him a frozen pizza. And he's <laughs> like... What is this? This is delicious. And she's like, it's a frozen pizza. <laughs> and he's like, mm, I love frozen pizza. It's fucked up. Dude, um, that's how you win a man's heart. <laughs> Throw a fucking delicious. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's so weird. Like, yeah, it's so weird. I like those. And fuck home cooking. I just want a frozen he's pizza. He's really into the frozen pizza. Is he? Did he fuck it? <laughs> no. No nudity. Um, male oh. or female. Okay. Then okay, then then the scene where I'm like, thank God, because the girl's like, she goes to the guy, she's like, 
what's going on? And I'm as a you know sort of verbalizing my thoughts because <laughs> I didn't fucking know at this point. And what happens? He like cuts to him and then fades out. And that's the end of the movie. Nope. But that's the exposition scene is a fade out. So I don't know what the fuck was going on. That's why I'm still trying to understand. So it's, so she so they go. What's going on? It cuts to him and fades to black. Fades fades out to the next That's scene. Awesome. No, it's not. Awesome. No, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> I'm like, did you just cut like five minutes of exposition that maybe would have made this movie a lot better? Because you no, know, they just cut to another fight scene. Um, we, we've got we've got a scene where the the midget kills a dog, I think. <laughs> And and then it'd be awesome if he rode it before he, he, kills, he kills a dog and then goes food. <laughs> the chick should have just cooked him a frozen pizza and that dog could have lived. The exactly. <laughs> the only other notes I have are girl falls off dam and B A D jacket. So someone must have been wearing a really cool jacket that said B A D on the back. Mm. Anyway, um, wow. This was... Yeah, I'm really, really overselling this. This is terrible. Okay. The thing is, dude, this is put out by Radon Home Video. Radon Home Video are known for putting out terrible, terrible shit. Yeah. Like, any movie they put out is avoidable. You see that logo on the box, you'd be like, nope. They put out this movie called Hollywood's New Blood, which is a 70-minute horror movie where the last 10 minutes of it is just... Credits with scenes from the movie you just watched with this really awful but awesome rap song going, New Blood, do, do Hollywood's <laughs> New Blood. They put out terrible movies, dude. Now, the thing is... But though, their marketing was pretty good. I kind of like stuff like this. And it kind of changed my perspective a bit when after I read this, or after I watched this, I went and read a review on <laughs> that bleeding skull did on this movie okay and bleeding skull is a there's a, a fun site site and and there's a book um they have a second book coming w- out where they review movies like this these kind of really low bottom of the barrel action and horror movies but they look at them with a different perspective and after i read the bleeding skull review i was kind of like okay actually i kind of get where they were coming from but I still didn't enjoy it that much. Hmm. It was still a bit of a slog. Um, but yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> if you like to see a lot of different people fighting, like it was kind of cool seeing the guy with the mace fighting the midget and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. I just It just was a little repetitive. There was just... When that's all there is to the movie, it just doesn't really do it for me. Like hmm. I just, again, kind of like... It seems like a bit of a theme tonight where I just didn't have anyone to hold on to in the movie. Like, it was just sort of like a movie that was there, but I didn't have anything to root for. <laughs> hmm. Kind of like John Hurd and Chud. Kind of like Sam Rockwell and Poltergeist. You know, like, I'm just... I was just sort of watching this thing without really anything to to keep me keep me in, engaged. It, it kind of seems to me like it's um, from the school of uh, Donald G. Jackson. Yes. He's the guy who directed a movie called Roller... Blade. He directed Hell Comes to Frogtown. Uh, he, a lot of roller movies. Yeah, he had this <laughs> thing where he called that he called Zen filmmaking, which is basically like we're just gonna come up with a basic premise, point the camera, and see what happens. Yeah, and that's kind of sounds like this is what it's kind of striving for in some ways too. Maybe 
Yeah, and the other thing is the fights just weren't that good. Like yeah. I'm like I wasn't ever like, oh, that was so kick ass. Look at that just, sweet drop kick. It was just like, oh, there's another fight, and they're not really fighting, you know. Like so, I think it could have been so much cooler, but it just it just wasn't. All right, so there you go, game of survival. Josh's VHS adventures. <laughs> This movie was shot in three B. Three beers and it looks good, eh? All right. So now we can get to our topic. All right. How far into the episode? Uh, almost an hour 50. <laughs> <laughs> you said this is going to be a short one. You guys love it when we go three hours. <laughs> We're not going to go three hours. No. We say that and then it'll happen. Okay. <laughs> so 3D. So... <laughs> I was a little bit uh, obsessed with 3D when I was when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, my first introduction to 3D, I'd say, was a book I got called 3D, and it was um, a book that sort of went through what 3D was all about. But it had those cool glasses with the red and the white lens, which I or red and blue lens, which I believe are called anachrome glasses. And anolithic, um, I think. Or anachrome, one or the I other. I think they're anachrome. Yeah, I think they're anachrome. Okay. But um, anyway, you put on these red and blue glasses, and you could look at an image that had like was kind of painted in red and blue, and uh, you could you you'd be able to see it in three D. And I remember this book was in black and white, but it still kind of blew my mind that that images could do this. And then after that, I remember ordering. I used to order comics through this place called Bud Plant um, in the states, and. Um, you could order some 3d comics through there. Um, and I do also remember getting a 3d Betty page, um, little picture book out of there too. It wasn't a, like that sounded, that sounded way pervier than it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I, I do remember really enjoying this was, this was all that, uh, that was the, all that POV porn you guys are watching on the internet. <laughs> yeah. This is the early form yeah. of it when we had to order it. Mail order. So we had to it. deal with that in the fucking Sears catalog. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. My mom would always be like, how come the bra section in the Sears catalog is missing pictures? <laughs> but, um, I did not have a scrapbook. <laughs> anyway, but I used to really enjoy reading these 3D comics um, with, with my little cool glasses. I also remember at that time, um, there, you know, 3D was making a weird resurgence on television at the time. Um, I don't, I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, I don't really remember. I, oh wait, there were like a couple times where it'd be like you can go down to, to whatever 7-Eleven. store and get yeah. your 3D. Yeah, okay. And yeah. you go to yeah, you go to Seven Eleven and you'd be able to pick up 3D glasses. And then on Friday night they would show yeah. like you know House of Wax or whatever yeah, on yeah, 3D yeah. and you could watch it. And it was really shitty. But back then, it was, like, kind of mind-blowing when I was, like, 10, right? So right. that's my first memories of my experience with 3D. What about you? Um, it's hard to say. I, I I think you hit it when you said House of Wax. Mm-hmm. Like, I think House of Wax was, like you, like you said, they were showing it on TV. Yeah. In 3D. So now you that went I think to about the 7-Eleven it. as yeah. well. Yeah, so... That was my first exposure probably to 3D was House of Wax, which granted is a great introduction to it, if you ask me, mm-hmm. because that's a great movie. Yeah. Um, that's a 1953 movie starring Vincent Price. Uh, the story of that is just basically that like some rivals try to try to burn him alive in his wax museum. Yeah. And uh, he ends up living and sets out for vengeance. And... Uh, I thought it was funny because cause in this movie, he basically wears like a, a trench coat and a fedora. 
and right. stays in the shadows when he's like going for his revenge. And I'm like, well, was this like an influence on Giallo or what? Like it's it's kind it's kind of interesting that way. I think it might have been because it's kind of the same getup that uh, Bava used in Blood and Black Lace. Yeah. So I mean that that's probably my first real exposure to the that. The only problem is I think this was also influenced by a movie called Horrors of the Black Museum. Yeah. There's yeah the DVD um the DVD of this has that movie included. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay. So um. You know, I, I think that's probably my first exposure. Uh, there could have been books in the past, like you were saying. Like, I think there was like instances of the newspaper maybe running 3D comic strips or something. Or you know, I guess the Viewmaster too. That was also the Viewmaster. Cool... Yeah, I remember having a Viewmaster and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to really pinpoint because uh, we had so much stuff back then that you just wouldn't see these days. And and I just can't really put a pinpoint on it. House of Wax was the first thing I thought of when we. We're floating the idea of 3D, right? So that, like, that's the first real solid memory I have of it. Yeah. Is, is that film? Okay. So why don't we? We're just going to go back a bit into sort of the history of 3D. Yeah. And just kind of because there was a few kind of there was some some really distinct eras that I found. So the first one we'll talk about is just what's called the golden era of 3D, which was back in the 50s. Yep. And um. Really, in particular, 1953 and 1954, yeah. it was it sort of came and went really, really quickly. Well, that's the thing. Like, like leading up to modern day, yeah, all these eras before modern day were a flash in the pan. Yeah, when you look at it, huge. Like flash it was in always the pan. just like two to three year periods where there was the big influx. Yeah, and that's what I noticed when I was even compiling here. I was like, okay. There was these years here. There's these years here. You're right. In the 50s, it was 53, 54, where yeah. the big... That was the years that if you wanted to go see these kind of movies, that's when you would most exactly. likely see one. Yeah. So and what, what was also happening at the same time as, as 3D was coming out in the 50s was stereophonic song was, sound was also coming out, along with movies being pay, played anamorphically. Now, we, also, we all think of anamorphic widescreen now, but anamorphic was, back in those days, it was literally a wider screen. Yeah. So um, the first 3D movie that sort of really started the craze was a movie called Buana Devil yep. from 1952. And this was like a, uh, a kind of African adventure with like, you know, trying to like track down lions movie. Uh, but that's the movie that really kind of where people were like, oh, this 3D thing's so cool and started going out in droves to see this Buana Devil movie. Well, I've never seen it myself. Have you seen no, Buana Devil? Not. Okay. It started, started Robert Stack, who went on to Unsolved Mysteries, I believe. Well, and the thing, too, is that in, in this era when they first started, um, it was kind of an event because not all theaters were equipped to show 3D movies. Yeah, like one thing about 3D is you need to have a special screen. Yeah. Like the screen needed to be in silver. So I remember there was a there's a theater in Vancouver here called the Venus. It's um it was a porno theater in, in late later days, but in back in the old days it was it was a kind of a movie palace and it had that screen there. Live feed was shot there. Oh, Ryan okay. Nicholson's movie, yeah. Um but yeah, it, 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 it was it was difficult to project 3D as well. Like now, in the different eras, there was different technologies to do it. But I, I do know at one point there was some movies that pro- were projected using two projectors that have to be simultaneously synced to to play at the same yeah, cause time. Yeah, because one would have like the red color and one would have yeah, the blue color. So that must have been a real pain in the ass. So. 
And I imagine shooting it would also have been a pain in the ass. I didn't do a lot of research on how to make a 3D movie, but right. definitely, like you said, like projecting them, it was difficult. Oh, yeah, because not all theaters would have them. So uh, people would have to kind of travel yeah. to see these movies, too, which made them a lot more events back then. Like these days, 3D is not a fucking event. Well, it's movies, just movies were more events back then. Well, it's just a given nowadays, right? But yeah. in the 50s, it was like, okay, I want to go see House of Wax. Yeah. Oh, it's only playing in 3D at this theater. It's going to take me 20 minutes to drive there or something along those exactly. lines, right? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. These were more like, because it was a new burgeon, burgeoning technology, people were like more willing to be like, I'm going to go out of my way to see this because I've heard this is supposed to be pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. So the next the next sort of main, major one was called Man in the Dark from 1953. This was a noir film noir that was shot in 3D. I'm sorry, Edmund O'Brien. And then following that was, uh, of course, House of Wax, yep. which uh, Chris has mentioned. I'm pretty sure House of Wax is is the most famous of the 3D movies from this era for yeah. the most part. I agree. The next one, though, was quite famous as well, which was It Came From Outer Space, yeah. um, which is kind of a sci-fi classic. Yeah, but it, was... ju- it just came out on Blu-ray, I think, a couple months ago. Yeah, and that was followed up by Robot Monster. Yeah, so Ro- these are, these Robot are all... Monster is, is when low-budget producers decided to get into the 3D game because they were seeing that it was it was doing pretty well. And uh, if you have not experienced Robot <laughs> Monster, uh, you might want to check that out. Uh, I don't recommend that you watch the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Robot Monster version because I don't really like that show. Yeah. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's a really, really ridiculous, low-budget, Space Invaders movie where the main villain, the robot monster, is a guy in a monkey suit with a diving helmet. Yeah. So it's pretty fun. <laughs> okay, then... We... I, I don't remember much 3D in that, though. Yeah, it was a 3D. Yeah, was I know it was, but I yeah. just don't... Like, usually in these 3D movies, even when you see them in 2D, you can pick out what was in 3D, and I don't remember being able to do that in that one. Right, right. Um, the next big production, and there's some of these were actually kind of surprising to me. Um, Kiss Me Kate was, um, so this was, now we're getting out of genre films. Um, this was a kind of a comedy musical starring uh, Howard Keel and Catherine Gregson. Um, and then that was followed by a Western with John Wayne called Hondo. Oh, yeah. Um, which I've I've seen and I'd never. Occurred- I, I would have never have pegged yeah. that as one because I've seen Hondo too. Yeah. Never occurred to me. The big thing about Hondo, other than it being a pretty good movie, is that the dog was uh, either it was either Lassie or it was Lassie's son. But uh, John Wayne's dog in the movie, just on a side note. Um, OK, so now we're 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 kind of already this we're still in 1953 but now the the um the gimmick was starting to wear out already um and people were starting to lose interest a bit so there were a couple more in this first golden age that came out that uh, were notable one was called phantom of the rue morgue um, with carl malden and then of course um probably my favorite of this era was creature from the black yeah. lagoon from 1954 which is of course a universal monster movie my favorite universal monster movie. yeah i, I bounce I, every day it's a different one That's, mine's always going to be creature for some reason yeah i go back and forth between a number of them but but it's it's pretty it's a pretty great flick, and I'd love to see that in three D one day. Um, I the, think they I think they have released it on Blu Ray with a three D version. Have they? I think so. Okay, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I but think you need they the three D Blu Ray yeah, player and the three D TV and all that. So. Yeah. 
Um, the next one that's kind of of note, and this is a bit of an oddity, is Dial M for Murder. I actually saw this in 3D last year. Interesting. Now, what's interesting about Dial M for Murder is that when it originally played, it only played in like one theater in 3D yeah. because people were losing interest. Yeah. So it actually, its initial run was in 2D, but it was still kind of known as a 3D movie. And then recently it's been experiencing this resurgence in 3D. Well, the the thing is too, is that this is a Alfred Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Starring Grace Kelly. It is a basically a one room movie. Yeah, there is not. It's one set. It's a. It's kind of a crime drama. Not a lot happens. I saw this in 3D last year because they were playing it at one of the uh, one of the theaters around here, and I honestly I, I couldn't tell you why this was put out in 3D. Huh? Like it was like okay. So I'm watching the movie. I'm like the 3D stuff is basically you know a plant in the foreground on a table sticking out towards you more than stuff going in on the background. Oh, okay. You know, characters kind of like coming closer to the screen and think like just basic standard 3d stuff, but nothing that would have justified it being made in 3d to begin with. I mean, dial in for murder is a really good movie, but I just don't see why this would have been made this way. And, and maybe that's why the interest started waning because when we go into these other eras, you're not going to see 3d attached to movies like this particularly yeah. because what would be the purpose of it? Well, it's probably Hitchcock, like, playing around with, you know, shots and stuff. Well, and... I know. Like, he was always wanting to play around with shots. But like I said, there was a few obvious instances of it when I was watching it in theaters. But it was nothing that I would have... If I would have not seen it in that format, it's nothing I would have really picked up on, yeah. I don't think. Well, I didn't even know it was in 3D until I was researching this, to be honest. Actually, I think I heard that it was, but right. no, it's not not one I immediately associate with no. 3D. Um, the, the, the other two from that era that I just wanted to mention was GOG, which I think you... Have you talked about that before? I haven't talked about it, but I know it's out on uh, Blu-ray from Kino. Yeah, and uh, Dangerous Mission, which was uh, a movie starring Victor Mature, but it's also a movie... Uh, um, produced by Irwin Allen, who went on to do the disaster movie. So he was kind of trying yeah. to get in on this, but it was near the end of that run. And then that was kind of it. Um, well, that was kind of it like for that initial golden era. But that was it for a long time. Yeah. Because even when we went out of that golden era of 53, 54, there was really nothing. Like even in the 60s, there's only one movie that I wrote down from the 60s that I think is worth mentioning. Yeah, I've got a couple from the 60s. So the, the one I wrote down is a 1961 movie called The Mask. Yes. And this is a Canadian shot film. It's actually considered to be Canada's first actual horror movie ever made. Mm -hmm. um, the thing about this one is um, this had a huge gimmick behind it when it came out. Yeah. Because this came with 3D glasses that actually were supposed to look like the mask in the movie. So the movie's basically about this... I think it's about this magician... I've never seen it, so... It's about a magician who finds this mask that when he puts it on, he experiences all these, like, visions. Right. And see, the gimmick of this movie was that when it came out, you got these custom glasses that look like the mask yeah. in the movie... And in the actual movie, it was in 2D until a character said, put the mask on now. And yeah. then you had to put the mask on. And his kind of <laughs> like nightmare sequences were in 3D. 
Yeah. And there was three of them in the movie. And, and this is a movie that's just recently in the last two to three years came out on uh, Blu-ray from Kino also. Yeah. And this is one I've always been curious to see. Now, it's kind of one of these ones where you're like, okay. Like, it's got an actual, its reputation has grown over the years. It has, but had, okay, it seems like a lot of trouble yeah. in, in a time when the that, that whole gimmick was kind of dead. Right. And also, I do kind of wonder, had they not had that gimmick, if we'd even be talking about this movie right now. Probably not. Right? So, I mean, good, good on them. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, this is when, the thing is, like, 3D wasn't as much of a, I think it got more showy. As yeah. we go along, just because it was a necessity for these movies to get become more showy, yeah. Because the really the gimmick was nobody really cared about it that much by this point, yeah. Like by 1961, no one's like cared about 3D. Exactly. Um, the only other ones I'll mention just from the up until like kind of the next big era, but there are a couple of notable ones in there. One's called The Bubble from 1966. It was kind of known because it, it intru- tried to introduce uh, 3D as like space vision. So that was their new, the new way of promoting it. Then in the, the late sixties, we got into um, some, because uh, um, some of the exploitation producers were really getting into it. So we got into a, some exploitation movies with 3d one of which is called the stewardesses um this starred uh, christina hart and uh, monica gale and monica gale was a patch in uh, switchblade sisters um and also another one called the playmates from uh, 1973 so this is when um you know porn was starting to to um, make its mark through deep throat um so we were starting to see some of these exploitation producers using 3d in their movies so uh the stewardess is yeah it's a little more um tame and then the playmates which renee bonds in it but it's nothing spectacular but um the 3d started making a little bit of a comeback in that era but more as a gimmick and the only other notable one from that era was um andy warhol's flesh for frankenstein directed yeah, that, by Paul that's Morris. from the 70s yeah not early 70s so. yeah so, so uh, there was i have that written down as well yeah um and i feel like that movie's just more notable just because it was andy warhol making a movie than it was for the 3D. Yeah. You know, like, that's more memorable for, like, Udo Kier going over the top. You know, that 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 line, to know life, you must first fuck it through the gallbladder or whatever it is. It's something along those lines, that, that dialogue. And it was just part of Warhol's, like, factory scene back then. Yeah, it New didn't York. make much of an impression on me no, at the I, time. I, I really don't think about that movie at all. I don't think about that or the uh, Dracula movie he made that much. Yeah, I agree. I do kind of want to revisit them, but uh, the, the the Frankenstein one had some some 3D type sequences, like you know, with guts being held yeah, out and yeah. stuff. But uh, yeah, neither of them really made that much of an impression on me. So, what we're trying to get at here is, though, although there were a few people using, still trying to use 3D as a little bit of a gimmick, the the bigger titles were kind of few and far between. Yeah, there was there was no real interest. The only other one that I wrote down from the 70s is uh, yet another movie that Kino's just putting out on Blu-ray and it's uh, a 1976 movie called Ape. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's a South Korean US production. It's a, it was a ripoff that was made really quickly to cash in on Dino De Laurentiis' remake of The Thing, of King Kong. Yeah. And um, it's, it's not really a... I have only seen like bits and pieces of it and it's not really that notable of a exploitation movie but i i think it'd be fun to see in 3d just because 
it's a guy in a giant ape suit, like kidnapping women and stuff. I, I think that might be okay to see in 3D, to be honest. <laughs> right. Is Kino putting it out in 3D? I'm not sure. Huh. I'm not sure if they are, but I, I've seen on the Blu-ray box that it, it has the poster that says in 3D and stuff. So maybe they'll have a, two versions on the disc. Oh, interesting. It's okay. possible. Okay, so from from so this is this bit of a drought. We then got into the eighties, and um, I guess there was I guess there was one which I think you've bought. Well, I I I thought that the eighties there was the uh, I think the eighties was the closest to the fifties in there being an explosion. Yeah, like a couple of years, like from nineteen eighty one to nineteen eighty three. Yeah, I feel like was like the new golden age of 3d if you think about it like yes like this was when all of a sudden the interest in this kind of film became almost at the same level yes there was a it was a huge fad in the early 80s and this is when i was rent well i guess both of us were getting our glasses at 7-eleven yep. watching stuff on tv meanwhile there were movies playing at the theater as well right so the first one that i've got written down is uh western which i think you've picked up called yeah. coming at you yeah i have i have the blu-ray i've this. never seen this um it's i think it's supposed to be okay but nothing yeah it's it's like a spanish um Spanish take on spaghetti westerns. Um, the thing I haven't watched it. I, I checked out the beginning of it just to see what the Blu-ray looks like, and I know there's a scene in like the first ten minutes of a guy on horseback basically dragging a half-naked woman along a beach tied behind his horse, <laughs> and there's a scene with like a rattlesnake coming right at the camera. Okay, so I'm like, okay, I, I'm gonna have to check this out one day. Maybe we should watch it together. That'd be good. Yeah. And the, the the other thing I'll note about coming at you is the star, Tony Anthony, was in another movie in this explosion that I will talk about in a minute. Um, okay. So at following coming at you, um, our buddy Charles Band then got in on the action yeah. uh, with a movie called Parasite. Yeah. And, and this movie is actually kind of fun. Yeah. Because this was a, a post-apocalyptic monster movie. Yeah. Starring... Demi Moore. Yes. And with special effects by Stan Winston. Right. So it was like um, Charles Band has a thing for post-apocalyptic movies. And, and this was like kind of, uh, you know, this was like, oh, a, a slug-like parasite is is free in the future. And it's like attacking people. And Demi <laughs> Moore is like the, her- the heroine who has to like s- try and stop it. And I remember there's a scene in it. That made it so obvious this movie was 3D because I've never I've only seen it on DVD. But there's a scene where a guy's lying on a cot, and he looks up and it's hanging over his head, and you just see it's coming right at the camera. Oh, nice! Like I remember that scene. Like it, it, it's not a a spectacular movie by any means, but it it's a pretty fun little Empire Pictures early 80s Charles Band production. Yeah, and like every kind of monster kid from our generation <clears throat> knows Parasite. Yeah. Like we either know we've either seen it in 3D or I haven't myself, but no. um, or we know the the VHS box for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and this, yeah, Empire Pictures, of course. This was probably one of their bigger releases, actually. Um, okay, so then we get into franchises, and um, this is when the this is when the part threes became prevalent because why wouldn't you 
when you're making the third part of your series, call it 3D when 3D was the big thing. Exactly. At the time. Any does that ring any bells, people of the of the uh, 2000s? Because <laughs> we we're seeing that nowadays too. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not sure chronologically when these came out, but I think the first one was Friday the 13th. Part three. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think Friday Thirteenth Part Three was first, and as we we've talked about in the past, this is a, I think this is your favorite of the series. I think it's my close. favorite of the series too, and it's also the one that when I think of three D gimmicks, this one really stands out to well, me. Well, even when I I watched this recently on yeah. on Blu-ray, and even then, like you can tell. Every single 3D gag yeah. in this movie when you're watching it 2D. And I think they're kind of fun. Like, you know, like an eyeball popping out of someone's head towards the camera. Uh, a harpoon gun being shot towards you. Uh, the you yo-yo. Know, the guy yeah, walking like, on his hands. Like well, like when the guy's... um Early in the scene, there's a, a rainstorm and the guy's putting back up the uh, the clothesline and the stick of the clothesline coming towards the camera and stuff like that. Like, this one is so obvious with its 3D. Yeah, and I uh, don't want to digress too much into the current era, but right. I will say this is one thing I really miss about 3D is those gimmicks. Because... Th- you, they were really trying to make things poke out of the screen. And when I go to the cinema now to watch a, a movie that's quote-unquote in 3D, I don't find myself feeling that stuff's coming out at me. There, there will be a movie we talk about that's more modern that kind of did this. We'll talk about down the road. Okay, I think I know where you're going with that. But, but um, yeah, but I, I really like that about Friday the 13th Part 3. I also, I also do really like the movie. It, it does add a little bit more of a fun factor to the film, too. Yeah. And, I mean, Friday 3D is not my favorite of the series. That's always going to be Jason Lives. But I really do like Part 3. And, and two or three years ago when I was uh, down in Portland, Oregon, I was at a little independent record shop wearing my Friday the 13th Part 3 3D t-shirt that I bought where it's Jason busting through a glass window with an axe in his head yeah, and it's meant to look in 3D and the guy who works there suddenly he's like oh man are you from here I'm like no I'm just busy he's like oh you totally missed it we showed Friday 3 in 3D on a couple days ago and I was like fuck <laughs> I totally missed out and I regret that I didn't know that was happening I might have gone down earlier just for that well, I'm hoping there's going to be an opportunity this summer to see it in 3D. Oh, I'm hoping. On the big screen. So. Um, and then I think chronologically after that, I think it was Amityville 3D that would have come next. That's what I have I've written down. Yeah, next. So, yeah. so Amityville Horror was a, a 1979 movie that actually has spawned way too many sequels. Yeah. And um, purportedly based on a true story, which I've said is bullshit. And um, 3D was just... It wasn't a great movie, but it was also cashing in on the trend. It had a memorable poster with like the Amityville house with this big giant demon hand coming out of the house towards you on right. the poster. And it's one that I really don't remember much about how it utilized the technology. Yeah. Because I've only seen it a couple times because I don't particularly like it. I don't remember it at all. I the don't only know thing if I, I remember s- is Meg Ryan's in it, really. I don't. I, I remember Amityville too. The, the opening scene scared me so much when I was a kid yep. that I never saw past that. Oh, really? <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I, it's not a very memorable movie. It's a PG horror movie. It's kind of tame. It's just nothing special. The next one, though, 
is something special. The next one was my first 3D experience in a cinema. Are we talking the same movie? We are. And and um the the reason I brought up my buddy who brought up the you they were drinking piss, man. Um <laughs> is because he poses my dad, this oh yeah, this 20 uh 25-year-old black guy <laughs> pretending he's my son. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he took me to see Jaws 3D. But I thought it was PG. I uh, know it was R. Really? I believe so, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I know he had to take me, for huh. sure. Now, I really like Jaws 3D, okay? I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> I think it's pretty fun. Where else are you going to see a fucking shark chomping on, like, water skiers at a, at a at a water amusement park where Lou Gossett Jr. runs the fucking thing? Yeah. Like, come on. And the 3D in this is awesome because it's so obvious, just like Friday 3. <laughs> You haven't lived until you'd seen a set of fucking shark teeth floating towards you in 3D, I don't think. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And I think that's a pretty awesome movie to go see in theaters for your first experience. Yeah, I'm just trying to see what the rating was because I'm pretty sure it was PG, dude. I do remember he he had to take me and I don't know why, but he I do. I clearly remember him pretending he was my father to take me to this movie. Maybe it was like 14 or my brother or something. 14A in Canada. Yeah, because I was 11. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fun flick, and and this is like you were saying, this is like Friday Three. This is a movie that went out of its way to make the gimmick obvious and fun. Yeah, and that's why I do not like modern three D. I agree. So I mean, that's why this was for me was the golden era because I was a kid. Yeah, and all these horror franchises that I was just kind of getting into are cranking out these movies in 3D, and you're like, ooh, this is kind of exciting. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there was a few more that came out in this era. Um, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden yep. Zone. I've always wanted to see that movie, and I haven't yet. It's not very good. Molly Ringwald's in it, though, right? Molly Ringwald and Peter Straw, yeah, Strauss and, uh, or something. Charles yeah. Band also made uh, Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, which yep. was a, a 3D film as well, and... That one had some obvious, obvious 3D in the finale with all the laser beams and everything. Yeah, and which also I remember not being very good. It isn't. Those were both disappointments, as was the third one, which I was so fucking excited about because I was so into Indiana Jones. Yeah. And there was a 3D movie that came out. Is this Treasure of the Four Crowns? Called Treasure of the Four Crowns. Starring... Tony Anthony from coming at you. I think I have treasure of the four crowns on one of those like four. It's on a four pack. Yeah. You can't, it's, it's readily available for cheap, but, um, it's total Indiana Jones ripoff. I do want to revisit it, but I just remember being super bummed out. So do I, because I heard somebody (laughs) on, on another podcast I listened to, I heard somebody like saying how awesome it is. Like, well, for, for over the top, campiness to my like 11 12 year old mind when the bar is is raiders of the lost yeah i guess so it's pretty hard to compare to it yeah i guess so (laughs) but um, raiders of the lost ark is pretty much the perfect action adventure movie ever made so yeah exactly so that was that was another um that was another uh, big, big one that I remember from the time period. And, um, of course, there's also... Um, now, this is a few years later, so I don't know if we want to leave... Well, there's actually one from the 80s that I wanted to bring up just because I think it's hilarious that this exists. 
1983 movie. Um, it's directed by, I think it's Bruce Malmuth who directed it. Who's, I th- he went on to direct Hard to Kill right. with Steven Seagal. It's a movie starring our bro, Steve Gutenberg. Oh, called yeah, the yeah. man who wasn't there. Yeah, and this movie is hilarious because it's like he's he's a schlub who gets turned into the Invisible Man. I don't remember a lot about this movie except for the fact that um, there's a scene in it where he's making out with a girl and he's invisible and she's not, and the neighbors are watching from across the alleyway <laughs> and thinking she's lost her mind. <laughs> nice. Those are the I, that's all I really remember about that movie. But I wanted to mention it because it's one that I've really wanted to revisit and i don't think it's out on anything but vhs oh interesting yeah 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 there were there were a bunch of them at the time and then um the other thing i the other one i wanted to mention from the 80s i think it's from the 80s was freddy's dead that's the 90s okay yeah that's it's funny though because like when you're talking the 90s after this like 81 through 83 thing 3d became relegated to just being imax Yep. Just like, you know, those flyovers and nature stuff. I remember a Siegfried and Roy one I saw. Yeah, Yeah. it was basically relegated to IMAX and being used in rides at theme parks. So like Disney, Universal Studios. Yeah, and the Captain EO um, 3D, um, it was a Michael Jackson one. Um, And it was like a film that, but you could only see it at Disneyland, I believe. It was really cool. I remember seeing that in 3D. But again, like when 3D's not, because 3D had kind of waned off again. So when you go to Disneyland and you're able to see this thing in this film in 3D, it was, again, really cool. I remember there was, I think there was one at Expo when we had Expo here as well in in Vancouver. Um, But there was a 3D film. Yeah, Expo 86. There's a 3D film that played there that was pretty cool. Yeah, so so like all I wrote down for the 90s was Freddy's Dead, which was a 1991 movie. Yep. And the thing about Freddy's Dead is it was a total stupid, pointless gimmick. Yeah. There was no reason for it to happen. So basically what they did was they decided they wanted to make part of the finale in 3D just because they thought, well, the Freddy series is kind of waning by now. What can we do to bring some people in as a gimmick? We use that technology that's totally waning. (laughs) First, we're going to say that it's the last Freddy movie and he's going to die. We're going to call it the final nightmare, which is a lie. And just like the final chapter in Friday the 13th is a lie. But, and I guess the final chapter in Saw is now a lie. But anyway, <laughs> um, so they're like, let's take this technology that no one's really given a shit about since the 80s unless they like IMAX nature films. Yeah. Just like The Mask from 1961, this movie has a scene in it where the main character puts on 3D glasses, yeah. which is your cue to put yours on. So fucking dumb. Yeah. And the 3D stuff they're doing is terrible, terrible CG, little worm-like fucking monsters. It's yeah, not, it's really bad. It's really bad. Like even it, like the DVDs when they released the DVD box set back in the day, it came with yeah. I think even the Blu-ray box set comes with it. It comes with the 3D glasses, and you can watch that sequence in 3D. It is awful. I don't think the Blu-ray box has it, but I, I have that. DVD box it's that has it. Yeah. Awful, man. Yeah, I know, I know. Awful. Yeah. But yeah, that it's like after that the only real time that it didn't seem like it was it was nothing until 2006. 
which is when uh, real 3D started coming in, which was a new form of 3D, which made it, I guess it was a lot, a lot less difficult to put in place. And the glasses went from being the two colored to being kind of like a clear, kind of what you see now. Yeah, I mean, there was a few instances where studios were starting to test the waters again. Right. Spy Kids 3D. Polar Express. And Polar Express. So that's yeah. 2003, well, 2004, uh, respectively. But that's the thing. Like, even when I'm looking for the 2006, it was all mostly just animated children's movies for the most part. True. Yeah. You know, like, one of the first ones from when this explosion happened was Monster House. Right. Which you had mentioned earlier. But did you know what the first movie to use real 3D was? No. Scar 3D. Really? That's the first film. Okay, so you're like, <laughs> what the fuck is Scar 3D is <laughs> what our listeners are saying. It is this awful, awful... 2006... Slasher movie. Yeah, with Angela Bettis. And, but it's, it's called Scar 3D. <laughs> you know what the funny story about that is? <laughs> I when I watched Scar 3D, I tweeted about it a little bit. A couple days ago, someone liked my tweet from way back when, and when I looked to see what it was, it was the guy who wrote it. Uh, okay, just a bit of a Twitter digression right now. <laughs> I get really creeped out when someone likes a tweet from, from like two years ago. Yeah, that's it, a little. That's because they were like basically creeping their name on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, yeah. So it's a little weird. Yeah. But yeah, it's not a very good movie, but I had no idea. Not a very good movie, but the the it's the movie that started Well, there it was all. a company that did that, though. There was a company in that era that was making, like, really bad 3D movies direct to DVD and stuff. Well, actually, there's a machine you could buy. Oh, this is the one where they made specific horror movies for it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. You're going to talk about it? I know you talk about it. I'm I'm well, I sure. own this thing. You own it? <laughs> I do. Okay, tell us. So you could buy this set and uh th- there's actually a few of the sets out, but you could buy this set and it had um it came with this little machine that you plugged into your your Blu-ray player or your DVD player at okay. the time. And then you plugged glasses into this machine, and then you could watch the movie. And it came with, like, Camp Blood or you something. You have this. I do. And Where is it? It came with, yeah, some zombie movie. Oh. Actually, you know what else I have that a friend of mine gave me? And I don't know how this happened. Oh, no. So, um, uh, anyway, I've got a copy of Jaws 3 that you can use with that system. Dude. <laughs> We're doing it. I got. I don't know where it is, man. You I gotta, gotta find it. We're I doing gotta it. find that thing. We're doing it. Actually, we can't do it right. Actually, I can't even get access to that stuff right now. So, <sighs> but eventually, we're doing. I'll it. I'll go through my stuff and find that. But yeah, I do have that system. I want to see. So the, yeah, was this, and Camp Blood. Yeah, so you could buy it. It came with three movies and the this this contraption where you could watch movies in three D. Um, but they were it, the shittiest movies ever. They were shitty movies, and then I think there was another set that came out after. But yeah, like I said, my buddy somehow got me a copy of Jaws three D that used this technology. Oh man. Um. So yeah. So Scar three D is is the 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 first real D three D movie that came out. But then um, there was an, an, a bigger one that came out in uh, 2009 that I think really started to kickstart the new era, especially in horror films. 
And uh, that's actually the first time Chris and I hung out. Oh, it was our romance story. <laughs> romance. Uh, it's our bromance. Yeah. It's, it's no, the beginning of our bromance. There's no romance here, brother. Bromance. <laughs> huh? Bromance. Okay. No what, homo. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't use that I'm word. I'm just using that term because I, I, you know, isn't that hip nowadays? No, that's not hip. Oh, it's past that's hip. Not sorry. okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was Snowflakes. our... Snowflakes. What? Snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> that is not okay either. All right. At any rate, it was the first time Chris and I hung out. Chris asked me out on a date. Or yeah, yeah. A bro date. I got advanced screening passes for My Bloody Valentine 3D. Yeah, and we went, and uh, it was awesome. It was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed seeing this. That is the theater. movie I was talking about that was most like Friday the 13th Part 3. I agree. And it had some real, real good moments. And uh, But I don't know if I would enjoy it as much watching it on home video as yeah, I did. I don't know. I haven't seen it since seeing in the theater i really enjoyed like seeing like the theater. you know throwing the pickaxe at the screen and they, you know there's a scene where tom scarrett yeah who's playing the sheriff tom atkins the, or tom atkins sorry he's on the porch and he's scanning the horizon with his gun and the gun like would come out of the screen and point yeah that was cool too like, i agree i i really liked that movie in theaters i agree and i really miss that stuff because i just feel like it's it's really well okay so part of the reason that it's not used very much is because so many movies that are in quote unquote 3D now are post conversion jobs that where they're taking they're taking a movie and then to make a buck they're putting 3D effects over top of it so the movie wasn't actually shot with 3D in mind so you're just taking any old movie like Dial M for Murder that maybe wasn't really intended to be in 3D and you're just throwing an effect on so you throw the glasses on you're seeing three dimensions I think that the biggest one of these like the first time I heard of them doing these kind of up converts was the whole fiasco about um, the Clash of the Titans remake Oh, I didn't know about that. What was the fiasco? It was uh, it was shot in 2D, right? And it was up converted to 3D, and apparently it was terrible, like it didn't work at all. Yeah, I mean, I really make a point now. Well, unless I'm depending on who I'm going with, but if I'm in control of the movie going situation, I will always, when I'm going to see a new new film check to see how it was shot and what the intentions were of the director before I decide how I'm going to see the movie. And if the director's intention was to shoot it in 2D, I'll go see it in 2D. Funnily enough, nowadays, there's very, very few movies that are... If you go to the cinema to see a movie in 3D, very, very few of them were actually intended for 3D. Right. And the ones that were intended for 3D are pretty much relegated nowadays to animation. Like I know Cars 3 is going to be in 3D. I know that that... um, what was that other one? Boss, the Boss Baby. Baby. Like movies like that. Th- those guys, those were shot in 3D. They were intended for 3D. But when you go to see Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't think that's what James Gunn was going for. But but the thing I don't get is why has 3D become such a huge fucking thing now that every single Hollywood movie that comes out has to be in 3D? Is it like... I'm just like, is it because you can make more money charging to go see the 3D movies? Or do people actually enjoy that experience? Because I can tell you that out of most of the newer 3D movies I've seen, I've gotten nothing out of it. I get nothing out of it either. I think a lot of it is because you can charge more, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't mind going to see the Smurfs in 3D because, again, 
that's how it was intended. Like, I don't mind seeing animation that way. But, you know, like I told you as we were um, hanging out before, when I went and saw Alien Covenant, I went to a um, AVX screening of it, and I was fully expecting to be handed those glasses, and they didn't. So that was in 2D. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe, and, you know, I, I have read a bit of a few articles online about this as well, about how maybe we are getting to the end of the fad again. I fucking hope so. I kind of hope so, too. Because, but, you know, it's, and it's, 3D TVs, I don't think they're taking off the way they expected them to. Um, so it might, I think we might be getting to near I'm, the end I'm of just it. finding that, like, like, I myself am not a huge consumer of blockbuster movies to begin with. Like, I don't really care that much about superhero movies and things like that. But, you know, I feel less likely to go to the theaters now because I know everything is in 3D. And I don't want to see them in 3D. Yeah, like I'm going to go see Wonder Woman this weekend and I'm curious if they're going if it isn't 3D. Like I guess it probably is. It's probably going to be more than I'm, likely. The superhero movies probably are, but um cuz they can charge more, right? I just feel like it's a cash in now. It is. It's not like when they came out in the 50s and they're like we're playing with this new technology or when they came out in the 80s like hey, this is fun, let's do this. Yeah. You know it's not like that and I I really don't like this. Yeah, and that well, that was the thing though, like in the eighties and stuff, when they were when they were making Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in three D, Steve Meyer was like, "Okay, fuck, we're doing this what in three D. What can we do to make this awesome? Yeah, what, what can we? Yeah, exactly. What? How can I? How can I do this shot so I can utilize the three D? Yeah. Whereas nowadays, because of post conversion, they're not needing to do that. They're just like, we're just going to shoot our movie, and then some other jackass will do it in post. Well, it's like I wrote down. Three other movies here that I had the experience where I was like the My Bloody Valentine 3D experience where I was like I saw them in I saw them in 3D and I actually had fun with the 3D. Uh, so one of those movies was the Piranha 3D, the yeah. Alexander Aja one, because I actually felt like he was trying to use 3D to his advantage. Especially with the floating cock. Yeah, like I thought <laughs> I thought that stuff was the way like he intended it to have fun with the media And the naked swimming girls. Yep. Um, <laughs> another one I wrote down was actually Jackass 3D. Yeah. Because they had a lot of fun with the 3D. You know, there was like, you know, they had fun with 3D and they also had fun with the slow motion cameras. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that when they do that. And the other one I wrote down, which, which I thought actually used 3D pretty good, was Dread. The Carl Urban Oh, film. yeah. I forgot about Dread. Yeah. Because like that had those shots of when... You know, people would be on that drug and everything would slow down. And, yeah. you know, there'd be these slow motion scenes of people flying through windows and stuff. And that was in 3D. So you'd see all the shards of glass kind of glittering down when they were going through the windows and stuff. But, and that stuff like that, that's what I want. I don't want to go see like Iron Man 17 and yeah, just be fucking like, oh, I have to wear these goddamn glasses. Yeah, and, and I... Like I already I, wear fucking glasses. I don't want to wear glasses <laughs> over top. Well, like I said, I mean, I think that those days are not... They're, they're kind of coming to a close because I think a lot of the movies now weren't shot with 3D in mind. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like it's facing a decline, but I do feel like the theater chains are still kind of holding on to it in the studios. But I think filmmakers have maybe abandoned it. Well, you can tell the studios are holding on to it because even at the peak of this 3D phase, which has been since like probably 2000 and... 11 till now is probably the 
I would say, say earlier than that. I 2010? Would say, I'd say, well, when we saw My Bloody Valentine, I would say that's when it was really picking up and starting to hit. But now you've got them doing the thing they did where they re-released movies that weren't shot in 3D in 3D just yeah, to make a buck. that drives me crazy. You know, you've got Jurassic Park. Yeah. You've got Top Gun. Star Wars. You've got Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Like, come on. Wizard of Oz, a 1939 movie, converted to 3D. No. Yeah, I agree. Just no. Yeah, so like, Flying Monkeys in 3D. Yeah, I, I just don't understand. And I'm again, like it is, it is what screams cash grab. Now, I'm all for it. If someone decided they wanted to make a new movie in 3D, but we're actually using the technology, I'm down with that. But um, if, if if we're not using the technology anymore, if we're just doing it as a way of Making enhancing, money. I don't think a lot of real true cinephiles want to see that. And I even think kids, for this, for that matter, I mean, I think they're kind of used to it. But I really don't think if you take a kid to a movie, they really give a rat's ass if they're putting the glasses on or not. I just feel like it's become a hassle now. And a habit. And a habit. Because like when I go to a movie on those rare occurrences that I do want to go see a big movie i want to see it in 2d yeah like i just i have no interest in 3d like i when i went and saw we went and saw godzilla yeah and when we were forced to see 3d because there wasn't a 2d option right you know i don't like that i, I want to be able to choose i agree but if another my bloody valentine came out i'd be down with it but that's the thing though it's like none of these movies like you said are actually using it to have fun with it i think that's the main thing it's like if you're going to do something in 3d you should at least do something that panders to yeah the 3d itself and make it fun make it like something where if you're watching it you give you you get a little smile like oh i like what they did there yeah you know and 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 now it's just like oh we're just making it 3d for necessity's sake because we can charge an extra four dollars a movie ticket yeah it's like no wonder fucking movies open to like hundred million dollar weekends when you know 70 80 percent of that gross is because you've got the inflated 3d ticket pricing totally yeah and imax yeah you know it's like that's why your movies are making so much more money than they used to because you used to be able to go see a movie for four bucks well wait i'm i am going to defend imax for a second here because hey, imax is different Seeing a movie in IMAX is something else. That's different. I'm yeah. not really picking on IMAX. I'm just saying inflated ticket pricing yeah. is why a lot of these movies are released in 3D to begin I, with. I agree. I mean, I, do, I don't like inflated p- ticket pricing just for the 3D because it's, it's almost like a fake effect at, at this point. Like I said, I mean, let's use Wonder Woman as an example. I mean, I'm pretty excited to be going to see it this weekend. But I, I'm pretty sure Wonder Woman was not shot with 3d in mind probably not so if i'm handed the glasses it's that to me is cash grab now because i want to see it in um what do you call it? the thing with the seats moving um what's that thing called again i don't know you know you know that thing where the, i know the, where seats, the seats vibrate and stuff yeah yeah um because i want because that's how i'm gonna go see the movie um i almost guarantee you i'm gonna have to pay the 3d premiums as well yeah yeah so, like, the only thing I also wrote down was that I found it interesting that it's always the genre stuff that seems to have the most fun with it. Yes. Like, I I haven't particularly seen any of these movies, but there was another thing where it was, like, a bunch of 
horror movies all came out close to one another where they were in 3D. So we're talking like Saw 3D. We're talking Shark Night 3D. We're talking Fright Night Remake, Texas Chainsaw 3D. Was Fright Night Remake 3D? Yeah, apparently it was released in 3D in some areas. But like, you know, that's like, I find if it was genre stuff like that and they were actually using it to their advantage, I'm okay with that. Like you said. Yeah. But I just wish it would kind of go away at this point. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the, the to- technologies there, but I just wish they would leave it for the, when someone chooses to use the technology. It needs to be an event like it used to be, well, rather yeah, like, than a norm. Well, like, that's the thing. Like, if, if okay, the Smurfs was shot in 3D. If I want to go see the new Smurfs movie and I want that 3D experience, that's great. But don't don't make me do it for Wonder Woman, you know? But um, if some if someone else decides to shoot a movie in 3D because that's their that's their jam and they're super excited about it, then let them let them do that and let me see it that way. It's all it all comes back to me like with what was the original vision. So if you're like taking someone's vision and then fucking around with it technologically to make more money, then I'm not interested. But if you've got a guy who like I see Guillermo del Toro for some, for example, I could see him being someone like it'd be like, oh yes, I'm going to make the movie in 3D, right, and being really excited about it, and and making designing shots and stuff to like really use the technology. Then fuck yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go check that out, and th- and I'd want to see it in 3D. So let that be an option to the filmmaker, but don't don't force. Uh, an option that the studio is putting on later on me as a consumer. Exactly. But I'd love, I'd love the option. I'm not down with 3D. I think I'm a little more forgiving of it than you. You are. But I would love to. I, I, I'm, I'm cool with seeing if a filmmaker can use that as part of their artistic palette. Then, then yeah, bring it on. I'd love to see it. But um, I, I think it's really cool, actually, that we have that technology. But I don't just want to see the 3D for the sake of seeing 3D. Exactly. Yeah. And I'd really also, just on another note, I would really love to be able to see some of these classics. I would love someone to be honestly playing Friday the 13th 3D. I think it's cool that you saw Dial M for Murder. I've always wanted to see Creature from the Black. I would be there in a second. I don't know why that, like, someone's not playing that somewhere. But that's the thing, too, is like I mentioned re-releases. Yeah. They're the wrong type of re-releases because they're movies that were converted. Mm. Jurassic Park, Top Gun, converted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Instead of doing that, you did it to Beauty and the Beast too, Disney. The cartoon, you made it 3D oh, and released it in 3D. Yeah. Instead of that, why not give us Creature from the Black Lagoon? Yeah. You know, why not re-release House of Wax? Yeah. You know, like, come on. Do it right or don't do it. Yeah, yeah. And the repertory theaters can't that would normally play stuff like this, they can't afford the technology that would where they can project in 3D. So, yeah, you're kind of fucked. You're kind of stuck with all these, like, let's let's take X movie and throw 3D onto it. You know, like, I don't really want to see Star Wars in 3D. Like, I mean, I understand it's a business. Yeah. And it's something they have to do. I just wish people weren't as accepting as 3D as they seem to be now. 
just because it's a standard now it's a normal thing yeah and that's something that is it's it's an interesting time in history because that's something that didn't happen before like back in the 80s it never became a standard it was a fad and it ended well exactly people were like okay i'm done with this but it's sort of somehow it's been able to sink itself in and become part of the thing and i think that's because we allow these post-conversion jobs to happen and i wish people i wish more consumers were like me and and maybe did a bit of research and we're like oh wait a second this guy didn't shoot this in 3d i mean i know i'm super nerd right like i can't imagine most people going online most people are just gonna be like oh it's friday what movie we're gonna go see oh fuck deadpool looks awesome yeah so most people aren't like going on and they're going should i see deadpool in 2d or 3d like i do but i do and uh, you're assholes (laughs) i'm still on that clerics thing and 3d sucks well, no, I mean, I think that people are just so complacent now that they're just, they'll just go to whatever they're, they're going to. Yeah. And I just wish people would think a bit, little bit more about the art behind it and not just what is the thing that they're supposed to see. It just feels like audiences these days are just so dumbed down. Like even in the eighties, I, I just think people knew better. Yeah. But I just think now people just literally like, oh man, I just need, I just need a break from my life, man. So the, I'm gonna go to the movie and see whatever, <laughs> you know. And they don't care. Yeah. But I really wish they did. So I, I just, I really wish 3D was being used in a way that could really expand the art form as opposed to just. Um, be, being kind of a given it's almost like a fix it and post situation and fixing it in post is not what we're supposed to be doing you know we're supposed to be creating art here and and we're supposed to be enjoying cinema and i think just blindly taking whatever's handed to us isn't the way to do it i think that's a good note to end on <laughs> i think it is because it you've summed up exactly what i feel too so that's a good way to go out I know I sounded really smart there that I just I realized that earlier in the podcast we were both wholeheartedly recommending Up in Smoke. I, so I, well, you know it's a good place, good place, good place to call it. So, <laughs> um, as per usual at the end of these episodes, we will ask for your help. <laughs> if you like the show, go to iTunes, give us a rating and a review. Preferably a review because that kind of gets us a little bit more exposure on the front pages. Yeah. Um, for other stuff, Facebook is GBW Podcast, Twitter is GBW Podcast, and Instagram is GBW Podcast. And you know, I just got to say, we both get really excited if someone comments on anything. I know. So, like, really excited. So. We get like a nerd boner. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like the chick who snorts the friggin' who snorts the 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 the, the, the I can't even say it. We're like the chick who snorts the cleaner. <laughs> so, NC Haggerty, thank you so much, man, for like seriously like noticing that we were a week behind. Like, honestly, dude, like. No, he he said it on Instagram, and it like meant the world to <laughs> meant the world to us. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I really wish more people were like you, brother. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> we will talk to you next time. Bye.